Hi friends, Colin here with a quick content warning at the top that today's conversation, though it is wide-ranging and has many gems in it, also does include a brief but frank discussion of suicide as well as a brief discussion of sexual manipulation and incest, in that case specifically as they pertain to one of Paula Vogel's plays, How I Learned to Drive, as well as discussing addiction and some intense violence both interpersonal and systemic, as well as the realities of incarceration in America. If those are topics you need not to hear about right now, maybe try another episode. There will be more. Otherwise, enjoy. But please, take care of yourself. To be. To be. Or not to be. To be or not to be. That is the question. Or not to be. All right, welcome everyone to Hamlet to Hamilton. Uh, this is Colin. I am taking the reins for this interview today. I am joined by my illustrious collaborator, Emily C.A. Snyder, Hello. as well as my friend, Kyle J. McCloskey, who has mm. been long in coming to speak <laughs> with us. And I am so glad that he is here today. Yay. Uh, for some context, uh, Kyle is a, in my opinion, prolific playwright. Uh, let me grab his official bio here. Uh, so Kyle McCloskey is a playwright originally from Philadelphia, now based in Chicago. His work was seen or previously developed at the Alliance Theater, the Kennedy Center, the American Playwriting Foundation, the Great Plains Theater Commons, American Theater Company, Collaboration Theater Company, and more. He is a two-time recipient of the Paula Vogel Award for Playwriting, Second, pl- second prize winner for the Harold and Mimi Steinberg Award and the Gene Kennedy Smith Award, all from the Kennedy Center, uh, as well as a finalist for the Princess Grace Award and semi-finalist for the Relentless Award. He uh, holds an MFA from UCLA and a bachelor's from Loyola University, Chicago. And I have been a fan of his work since Roundabout. We were trying to sort out, we think, 2015 (laughs) when uh, through um, our mutual friend Olivia, hello Olivia, uh, (laughs) introduced us at uh, the American College Theater Festival when it was up in Milwaukee, uh, where Kyle won Best Full Length while he was attending a school, correct me if I'm wrong, was Loyola not even an ACTF participating school? No, they were not. I was just in the region, so I could yeah, submit that You just way, submitted but... it and <laughs> yeah. won it, and then so you were like the one person from your school there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a whole experience, yeah. <laughs> and so I attended a reading of the play that won Best Full Length uh, that year, and uh, back when... So this was a formative experience for me, so I'm, I'm very excited <clears throat> that Kyle is with us today. Um, the play was very challenging to my earlier um, homophobe self, mm. and uh, <laughs> I found it uh, impossible to dismiss. <laughs> so we have this artist with us today, <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> we're very happy to be speaking with him. So welcome, Yay. Kyle. Thank you. I'm very excited Thank- to be here. <laughs> Thank you for making the time. Of course. Um, is there anything I missed? Anything you'd like to add? No, that was beautiful. Can you do that everywhere I go? Can you just like be a trumpeter <laughs> then? <laughs> Every time for I enter a, small, a room? <laughs> uh, yeah, I can be I can be a herald. Yeah. Oh, I would appreciate I, for a that. small Thank fee. You. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, it just it strikes me that one of the jobs of a herald is in fact sort of like the mini wiki um, you know, for whoever <laughs> enters. <laughs> right? Yeah. Absolutely. I suppose so. 
Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I would also just like to kind of play up that detail in your bio. I, I think one of the ways I like to introduce Kyle to people if they're just meeting him is like, oh yeah, by the way, he's the only person in U.S. history to ever win the Paula Vogel uh, Playwriting Award twice. Yeah, that's, that's very kind. Because <laughs> it's technically, I mean, hey man, it's technically it's true. true. Yeah, it's true. Use it but, while uh, it's true, right? I know, but again, at the same time, I'm trying to be uh, modest in some respect, and so that's right, always right. like a that's, thing where That's it's what like, I'm yeah, here you know, for. Yeah, this is like, why we you. didn't mention both Nobel Prizes, like it's okay. <laughs> um so uh that's enough of me talking for the moment um so the plays uh we're gonna be discussing a handful of your works Mm -hmm. uh both recent not and a handful we might make reference to the play that introduced me to you which uh it's it's uh is it current is its current title still hungry hearts yep so hungry hearts okay um, which is also, Kyle has uh, quite a, an excellent catalog on New Play Exchange. Um, if at any point you want to refer to that uh, as you're listening. Um, but yeah, so this is a good place to start. So we would love to know from you, Kyle, uh, where and how did you begin with theater? And what was your journey into theater like? And how did you end up with playwriting? Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, again, thank you for having me here. Um <laughs> I think the the entry point, and I think for any like person who would consider themselves an artist, you actually have to like take it back to like before you even considered theater, right? Absolutely. Um, I had a really great professor named Philip Dawkins who um, the first assignment was like, when was the first time you ever played with a toy? Because the first time you ever played with a toy is the first time that you as a playwright or director ever worked, right? Hmm. And so – you know, oh. like go, if you were to go play that realm, it's like, oh, yeah, the first time that I played with the Simba plush tall and Batman and bat, <laughs> just having Batman ride Simba into battle. Like that was the first time I was a playwright. Um, but then, you know, like it's like you do like grade school stuff, too, on top of that. And like it just compounded. And then when I was in high school, I had like a pretty gnarly injury that led me to like re-engaging with theater after like playing football for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I know I'm a glee kid. It's really fun. Um, hey. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, and so then from there it was like, Oh, I'm an actor. And then my senior year of high school, we had a, I was in religion class. I went to a Catholic high school. I went to mm-hmm. like 19 years of Catholic school, which was a whole other podcast uh, topic. But um <laughs> Yeah, we had a a final and one of it was that we could like do a play and like I was the play kid. So they were like, you should do the play. And I wrote a play on just war theory. Like it was a problem play. Oh, wow. About it. Um, yeah. Actually, <laughs> that sounds really interesting and, to be honest. Yeah, I was I was 17 and it was mm-hmm. about this. Um, well, that's a good time for that. Okay. Yeah. This, it was about this woman who – or this woman. Yeah, she's like 19 whose father had died in um, – uh, the Gulf War and she was deciding if she like should go or not. And like, she's visited by the Archangel Michael and is like told like, he's like, you, there's no such thing as just war. War is just mm. a constant, ugly, disgusting thing. And so she decides not to go, but then she's like forced to go. It's like this whole like thing that like mm. at seven and talking about it now, I'm like, yeah, that's a good play. But like at 17 was not necessarily the most effective thing. <laughs> um, but so then I got to undergrad. Well, did and, you did you have that read? Yeah. Did you? Oh, we performed it. Like you, we, it was we fully had, performed. 
Yeah. So basically, like this class, like the teacher was awesome. She's wonderful, Ms. Blastic. But she was basically like, when I handed it in, she was like, mm-hmm. well, we have to do this now. <laughs> and so we had like a week off from like class where she was like, just go to the gym and like rehearse it. And we did. And so there was like five of us who mm-hmm. performed this play. And it was, I remember it very distinctly. She had set up her classroom in like the alley format for anyone who does like yep. theater now. Yep. And so <laughs> we did it in the alley, which was also a wild. That was the first time I had ever like played with like stage technique, really. And so it's wow. like, well, I'm, wow. so I'm like, right, I wrote this thing and I'm a director now and I'm like looking mm-hmm. at it and like thinking like, okay, well, like how do like what's the most effective way for like Michael to show up and we had him yeah. the character the actor like hide under a desk and then appear <laughs> on top of the desk like it's all this like stagecraft that you could like find in a like rundown like catholic school yeah, you know? yeah. um, were you also in it um no i was like okay. i don't want to i was like so that's writer too much director for me. producer okay <laughs> yeah exactly um <laughs> that's a very <laughs> kind way to put it but yeah and so it was but it was like very really effective and i think mm. looking back on it especially as you look at like where and how i've developed my plays going forward like it was super important to me for me to do that mm. like it gave me the the tools and and uh i guess um knowledge for lack of a better term right now, but the knowledge that like, Oh, I can do this, which I think is like 99% of playwriting in my opinion. Mm. Like the second that you write a play for the first time and realize like, Oh, as long as I get to the end of this and then give myself the time to like work on this thing, anyone's a playwright in my opinion. Mm. Um, so yeah, that is very encouraging because I've got a few ideas that have been just languishing. And, but, uh, and like the beauty of it, Colin, is like you're the only one who has that idea. Like even if like mm-hmm. 900 people want to write a play about um, Merton, right? Like <laughs> it's like you're <laughs> – Oh, now there's an idea. Exactly, <laughs> right? Like you're the only person who could write it your way. And like that's the beauty of playwriting yes. is that like mm-hmm. everyone has their own – you know, even if we've all – if we're all – uh, slicing from the same ideas, uh, Apple, if we will, like we all mm-hmm. can, we can all can do it. So, yeah. Yeah, actually. And I, I, I love that you bring that point into this conversation. Cause I attended a, just a brilliant playwriting workshop, um, at one of the ACTFs I attended. It, it may well have been the same one we met at, um, but it was given by um, Alvaro Sar Rios, hmm. um, who does has done a lot of work with First Stage, a lot of work now, I believe, in Chicago as well. Um, he's a, I be, uh, he's a, a Latinx playwright. <clears throat> um, the last play of his I saw was called On the Wings of a, of a Mariposa. Um, but he has the same exact uh, tip. He's like, I'm never afraid of sharing a play idea because mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but you can't write my play. No, exactly. <laughs> You're going to write yeah. your play. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that reminder. And I also love that you bring up the um, the question of when was the first time you played with a toy? Yeah. Hmm. Because uh, that's not the first time that idea has come up here. And, Emily, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Glenn that mentioned that he in when he's working out a play he gets a bunch of oh, action figures yes 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 yeah glenn does so, this sort of classic thing of um yeah sort of making a mini version of the set i believe and then getting out action figures and actually moving them around oh my god so yeah you something 3d there yeah well i mean i know when i was taught directing that was actually one of the techniques that that we were given i don't think i ever used it um 
personally, but like, yeah, Glenn, who uh, is very prolific. <laughs> <laughs> most certainly yeah um yeah Suggested, so we've got an yeah. interview with him yeah with uh his whole his whole bio is is enumerated in that, in sure, that yeah. uh, mm-hmm. interview but yes you're in you're at point being you're in very good company with that with that practice amazing um and yeah so when he's working out a story also trying to figure out just the mechanics of okay well who, how does this person have to re-enter here you know he'll have a dedicated action figure uh for each one Beautiful. Um, yeah, I definitely need to bring that back because it's. I, I can see how that can be eliminating for sure. Well, I think in particular for people who are accustomed to uh, any of the recorded arts wherein you can edit, wherein one of your strongest tools is essentially montage. Um, if you're trying to do something for the live arts, to be reminded that like if the Barbie doll you're using needs to, you know, disappear in one scene and reappear in another change of clothes and you like you try to do that practically you know with your barbie or your rainbow bright or your he-man or whatever it may be um you're going to learn real quick that you do not have the power of montage in the same way Mm -hmm. uh that we do for audio and video yeah so yeah uh yeah so thinking of the practical considerations that you had of Alley, how is, you know, to perform in the alley, how are people going to be able to see things? How can you hide yeah. things? Um, mm-hmm. How can you make desks, not just what desks? What a format yeah. to start with. Yeah, it was a silly format to start with, I will say. Because, like, <laughs> someone who had good. only ever worked. Yeah, I, the silly's great. Give me your, give, <laughs> that's where the podcast really starts. That's silly. But, no, I think that play in particular, like, you know, like, you know, you're 17 and you haven't really – my, I didn't have like a like a uh, a a broad like support system in the theater mm. where I was, and so to have even that moment of like, oh, theater can and should be anywhere, and it's about mm. the story, definitely like launched something inside of myself that like led me towards playwriting. Two quick questions. Um, mm-hmm. One, I'm presuming that this play was written in what we would consider just a paragraph format. Yes, or yeah, probably. I, I was no. also like a, I was also a songwriter at the time. Like I was in two oh. different bands in high school, so I think that's also like part of where it comes from. Um, huh. Because like that was the easiest, most digestible way for me to understand language through music and lyric, right? Um, and that definitely influenced at least the earlier plays. So I, I, I mean, mm. I haven't looked at that play literally in right. <laughs> 11 years now, so I couldn't tell you sure. what format it was in, but I'm definitely, it was definitely influenced at least by the everything else going on in my life. Are you a lyricist as well then? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm working on a play right now mm-hmm. that is like my first return to like actually writing music and lyrics for the first time in like eight years. Congrats. Um, Thank awesome. you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty intense play, but mm-hmm. um, it's exciting. Um, I'm right now just like so drawn into like emo pop punk, which is just a weird oh, good. thing no. for me. To, at 20, well, I think at like 28, you're like, all right, why are you getting so deep into this now? Like, are you okay? Like, that's oh. kind of where I'm at. I, um, so. At 30, I can say there's plenty of reasons. <laughs> as, <laughs> okay. at, at 45, it's still good, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I know. Like, if it's good, it's good. That is true. That is very true. If it hits, it hits. Yeah. Um, And and I think for for me right now. Yeah, I think I just think that, like, for me right now, I'm like, why am I so drawn back to this? And, like, the the band in particular. That's true. Um, 
the band that I'm like drawn so much to is called mm. The Wonder Years. I don't know if either of you have listened to them. No. Um, but they're so from familiar, my, yeah. yeah, they're from my hometown in Philadelphia. And so nice. I'm or well, they're like we're just both outside Philadelphia in Lansdale, which mm. is this really strange um dichotomy of a town, I think, because it's like on one side there is like the meat packing plant of like Hatfield meats, and on the other side mm. is Merck. Like the drug drug pharmaceutical maker, oh, wow. and so then in between it is like all the people who are like trying to make this town work, which is wow. just in a constant cycle of like trying to rehab itself and try to reunderstand itself. Mm-hmm. And so, like my favorite band comes from there, the Wonder Years, mm-hmm. who are this like emo pop band who are very sad, still well into their forties, like very sad music. <laughs> and there, there's just like something there that like feels like it's ripping at my mm. need to get something out. So I'm, yes, writing music again. <laughs> so here we are. Great. Well, and that actually That's leads awesome. me to sort of my second question of, is am I right in seeing that one of the themes we should keep an eye out for in your work is, in fact, um, social justice? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think defining social justice is an important thing to do as well. At least like my social justice, um, it's mm. definitely from like a Marxist percept, Marxist perspective mm-hmm, of a mm-hmm. social justice. Um, because Excellent. I, th- yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I, can't. Um, I, I think, uh, I think, yeah, I, I, I get a little itchy anytime I, I do hear the term social justice. Mm. I'm like, I just want the performer whoever's Very doing fair. it to define it for themselves. And like, let's, mm-hmm. It's the same way when I hear someone say they're progressive. It's like, well, what are we progressing towards? Yep. And so mm-hmm. if you can define what that is, then you define an ideology that perhaps is sometimes too prescriptive about the work that you're making, but at least gives mm-hmm. a good starting point for whoever's approaching the work in general. Yeah. Right. So after that exciting um, <laughs> classroom debut, what was next? <laughs> Yeah, um, I went to college. I went to Loyola University, Chicago. Um, I worked as an actor there. And I was just like, for the first year in particular, I was like, I am just an actor. No one can tell me any different. Um, I was tired of getting cast as dads and cops as Mm. 18-year-old me, Um, Mm. especially as I'm trying to, like, understand the world. And so the only thing I thought I could do was, like, take a step back and direct. And then Mm. through that... Well, a couple of things happened. My uncle actually passed away. He um, actually tragically mm. took his own life. And I'm sorry. that, mm. no, it, that moment though, like in that intense connection and an intense family moment when like mm. the entire Irish side of my dad's family came together and like mourned together mm. was very like theatrical in itself. Um, mm. And so that kind of like launched as like a, oh, I should get back into writing and like put my emotions somewhere else rather than just like bottle them up all the time. Um, <laughs> what a thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I started writing a play that's loosely based off of my grandmother who passed away when my mom was 13 years old. Mm. Um, she had this like very rare autoimmune disorder called syringomyelia disorder, which basically acts as a, uh, a blocker for the nervous system. So it like rips away the, the feelings of the nerves. It's very intense. Um, and perhaps too intense for a 19-year-old to be like, I'm going to handle this correctly. <laughs> um, sure. But, <laughs> so I wrote that play. That play was pretty good for at least, again, for like a 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. And then I took a playwriting class with Philip Dawkins here in Chicago at Loyola. And 
we'd be, oh my God, like Philip and I are still like very close and still talk about writing all the time, which is very lovely to have that like level yeah. professor in my, my space. But, um, I wrote a play at the time that was awful that, um, elicited a 23 page email when printed out email from Philip, basically being like, you're better than this. Um, which is oh. like the most incredible email I've ever received of like, he's like, you're like, here's where all the points in the play you were lazy. And here's why I think like I'm writing this and so <laughs> mad at you for writing this play. Um, wow. yeah. Well. yeah. And as a, as a 20 year old, you get that. Right. And so then I was like, damn. And like thought I was going to give up on writing. Uh, hmm. but then I like really took it to heart and wrote a play called hungry hearts, which is what led me to meeting mm. Colin, um, okay. which is about a queer, 17-year-old woman um, who's obese, like, learning how to, like, you know, grow in love for the first time. Um, mm. And at the time, I was very much, like, if I'm going to write about myself in a certain way, I want to learn how to, like, distance myself from, like, what I am writing. And so, like, that's how that play mm. came up, where it's, like, I can still be intense and in this piece, but... I have to find a way to to step back a little bit, um, which I'm very thankful for that play. It led me to meeting Colin and led to <laughs> some exciting opportunities early in my career. Um, I then yeah. got to work at American Theater Company um, here in Chicago, which no longer exists, but I worked with Will Davis, but it was formerly PJ Pepperelli, who's a great, great playwright. Um, it was his company. He tragically mm. passed away and then Will took over after PJ died. Wow, okay. Um, and so my work, especially then at that moment, it feels like it's being pulled. So PJ was this like really intense social justice um, playwright who wrote plays like Columbinus, which I don't know if either of you have ever read or yes. seen. It's I've wonderful. Seen, I've it's seen a, it. Yeah. yeah. In it's Chicago. A, at, oh, um, incredible. At the yard at Steppenwolf. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. was Col- done by high schoolers Columbinus too. Columbinus by whom again? It's by P.J. Paparelli and Stephen Karam. Stephen Karam went on to write, okay. like, um, Sons of the Prophet and the Humans and, like, has become a very successful playwright, or, playwright in, himself. But P.J. was, like, a documentarian. And, like, that's how he wanted mm. to approach playwriting, at least. So he wrote this play that where they went around and they interviewed, like, over – they went to, like, a, a, over 100 high schools and interviewed high schoolers about what it meant to be living in a high school – um, mm. created some like pretty intense stock characters out of those interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then you spend the first act trying to unravel the stock characters they've made. The second mm. act then is like the events leading up to the Columbine massacre um, in wow. the way that the students dealt with it. And then at least in the production I saw and read, there was a third act that they did 10 years later where they like have gone back and interviewed all the people that they interviewed in Columbine to see how they have grown from the event. Mm. Um, it's a, a fascinating play about grief and um, the choices mm. that are forced upon us in high school. So um, PJ definitely was like a major influence. He also wrote this play called The Projects, um, and he did the, basically the same thing. He interviewed over like six hundred people about the Chicago mm. housing projects, and create, crafted this incredible play. Um, so I thought that's like the playwright that I was going to be was like a really <laughs> intense, yeah, like socio, like a, a social justice. Yeah. Like that's yeah. where I thought I was going to head. And then I met Will Davis and Will Davis blew my fucking head off in terms of like understanding what theater <laughs> could be. Like he was just incredible. Will mm. Davis is the most 
like if for the anyone who hasn't met Will, you're like, all right, who's Will? And then you meet Will and you're like, oh, okay, this man will probably change all of theater one day. Like he's that incredible. Wow. His entire thing is like radical inclusivity. So he's a trans man. Mm. He's the first trans man to be the like, well, I should say like, I'm not hundred percent sure that someone who may have been trans before Will may have come in. But like from what my understanding is, Will was like the first person to give like, be given like an equity theater of the size of American theater company when he took over mm. in 2016. And I was very lucky and I got a fellowship with that company for my first year out of undergrad and Will wow. taught me so much about this idea of um, wild theatricality. And that is mm. for him, it's like, you know, we have a theater that, you know, we're asking people to come to and we're asking people to spend in, in this day and age, like an exorbitant amount of money, like $40 mm. can be an exorbitant amount, exorbitant expense for someone. Right. Yep. Why are we then forcing them to watch an O'Neill play for the, <laughs> you know, like what do we really have to illuminate and, you know, de uh, desire in the ounce or something. So mm. his entire thing was radical reconception um, or to create plays that radically reconceive what we can do in the theater space. So his big one that he directed was a play called uh, Men on Boats by Jacqueline mm -hmm. Backus, who's a great playwright. If, if any of your listeners have not read Jacqueline's work, you definitely should. Um and it's about the John Wesley Powell conquest of uh, the Grand Canyon. He is the, f the person that was like asked by the United States government to go and document what the Grand Canyon is. Um, so it's like basically a white water rafting play. It's very <laughs> okay. wild. It's insane. Um, but then he did like a radical reimagination of Picnic by William Inge that still sits in my head as like, you know, having casting people who would never have been cast in those roles to explore the ideas of those roles rather than explore the archetypes that those roles have kind of become. Mm. And I think that's like where Will's work really like pressed itself into myself, into me. Um, and so during this period, I like kind of was lost and wasn't really writing, but like at the same time was definitely growing as an artist and writer. Mm, absolutely. Um, and then I got into grad school, which is a, wild choice for anyone to make. And if anyone has any questions, I'm sure Emily, you can talk to it. <laughs> no. Also, if anyone wants to know about playwright in grad school, I'll gladly tell you all the good and awful qualities of it. Um, <laughs> but I got, so I got into, got into grad school basically off of Hungry Hearts and this other play that I had written in undergrad called Maniunk, which is about a water crisis um, in a small town. And I got there the first quarter and was told that Paul Vogel was going to be in residence with us that year. And wow. that I was asked to take a class called Paula Vogel, which was just on all of her plays and her entire idea of like what it means to be a playwright. So here I am, Whoa. 24 years old, and I have just been given a master class in idea of radically reconceiving theater from Will Davis. And then I am mm. forced, I would argue, as like the greatest playwriting teacher of we've ever had, I think it's Paul Vogel. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if I can Sorry, jump yeah. in here, because uh, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about Paula Vogel's ideas of plasticity. Mm -hmm. And I, in my ignorance, was like, what's that? And you said, check out Paula Vogel. Um, so I did, and there we'll be linking, hopefully, um, <laughs> over on hamletohamilton.com, uh, several videos 
that are sort of lectures or mini classes um, by Paula. And I'm sitting there listening to them and going, I did not, like, I'm just mind blown, life blown, language for things that I knew but didn't know. Uh, So even just from, you know, a few hours sitting with these various videos, I, I absolutely agree with you that uh, she is uh, the preeminent teacher of playwriting for our time. I think. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I think if I was to design a class that like, I was like, all right, I'm not allowed Mm. to actually teach it. I can just teach through YouTube videos. Mm. The first thing that I would send is Paula Vogel's, uh, interview that she did at the Playwright Center in like 2015, right after mm-hmm. Indecent came out, where she just yeah. talks about the writing process of Indecent and like that kind mm-hmm. of distills what makes her just so incredible <laughs> as, a, mm-hmm. as a writer of like. And this class that I was in, like they kind of like we just I was with Sylvan Oswald. I should also give Sylvan his flowers. Sylvan is mm-hmm. an incredible writer and created this beautiful text, which I will send to you, Emily and Colin. Um, oh, great. That's called Play, a Collection of Plays. That was after he graduated from Brown, he just collected people who were doing weird things with their plays in terms of like the way they looked on the page. So it's just oh, a collection uh, of plasticity. It's, yeah, I will say Yep, that's it's it. Incredible. That is exactly what we. Yep, yep, yep. Thank you. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot so, of for, for the listeners' benefit, lots of vigorous nodding. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of vigorous nodding. Uh, but yeah, so um, so so Sylvan um taught me everything like I knew about Paula and like because we had to t- I mean, we took a class before she was in residence so we could all be like you know mm-hmm. hey Paula we know exactly what you're doing and we can just like go from there. <laughs> um. And so he was the one that introduced me really to this idea of plasticity. And for mm. your listeners, for the listeners, yes. I am going to first say that like even when I was sitting through it, like I was like, I don't know what this means. But like a plasticity to me is like pornography. Like when you see it, you understand it. <laughs> um, it's like, it's just, so no, plasticity is like pornography. It was the way pornography is defined by some people. It is yeah. not – actually sexy except that it incredibly is sexy <laughs> i think it's incredibly sexy the way that you set up your page i think so um but so but basically what sylvan taught us is that mm. like paula teaches that you know when you when you see these playwriting competitions and they're like it must be times new roman 12 point font mm-hmm. and the, the character must be like it creates an unnecessary barrier into what a play can be and mm-hmm. an unnecessary rule that mm-hmm. like theater, especially like American theater has taken on. And I think like when you see theater really like before Paula Vogel, the American theater before Paula Vogel, that's not mm. the avant-garde. Mm. It feels, it feels boring now. And the reason mm. I think it feels boring is because we were unimaginative with the way that we could set up our page and unimaginative with the way that we can think about exploding the page in my, in my opinion. Um, if I could just sort of jump in, actually, um, just to give a little bit more context regarding plasticity. Please, um, please. When uh, – I'd have to go back through, I believe she mentioned – oh, was it Mayor Hold? But uh, Paula Vogel cites her own sources of where she got the idea of plasticity from. That said, um, truly Paula Vogel has, has sort of developed her idea of plasticity to the point where it is her own. So she could cite her sources of what inspired her. 
but plasticity absolutely comes from Paula Vogel herself. And the idea is that there are multiple forms of plasticity, particularly when thinking about uh, the stage. One of them, and the one that we'll be focusing on, is the plasticity of the page. Uh, Plasticity coming from its root... um, we call things that are plastic, meaning that they are malleable, that they are changeable, they are formable, they are not rigid. Uh, so that's where you may say that a character actor has an extremely plastic face, right? And we call things that are plastic, plastic, because we're able to shape them into a bottle or a shoe or a this or a that. Okay, so that's where the word plastic comes from. Plasticity then There's the plasticity of the page, which is how are you going to shape um, this this piece of paper or this screen that you have in front of you, the black on the white, essentially, if you remember Glenn, Glenn Maxwell again, how are you going to shape the artistry of this form in order to elicit things from the people who are reading it, whether that's the interpreters or a reader at home. But there's also the plasticity of the stage itself of... Are you in a black box? Are you in the alley in your classroom? What is that plasticity, right, of the space that you are physically working in? What is the plasticity of Peter Brook's empty space, essentially? Mm -hmm. There's the plasticity of the actor. What is the actor capable of doing, right? Um, And uh, and you can sort of go down the list of the different tools of, of plasticity. Today, again, we're going to be focusing particularly on the idea of the plasticity of the page. And that, as Paula Vogel says, it doesn't have to all look like Samuel French formatting, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, with that, was that wonderful. pedantics yeah. out of the way, <laughs> I, I've been teaching for a hot minute. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, yeah. That's, I'm just that's regurgitating what I learned when I asked yeah. you, what is this? And you're like, go forth and educate yourself, child. <laughs> so I did my homework, yeah, no, sir. <laughs> that was wonderful. That was really wonderful. Um, yeah, I guess like, another thing I just want to mm, add with Plasticity and like kind of to pa- the point that you're saying about Paula is that Paula talks so much about our fellow travelers and the people that mm. we as playwrights and as theater artists walk with constantly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she she cites Meyerhold. She cites Schlafsky, Victor Schlafsky as well. Um, she cites she calls Brecht. Un- she un- Uncle Victor, right? Yes. Yes, Uncle Victor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she she cites Brecht, but does not love Brecht. Mm. Um, I think that her. Oh, I don't want to speak for Paula Vogel, which is a mm-hmm. wild sentence I just said, but I think her <laughs> issue with Brecht more or less comes down to Brecht is one of our chief stealers, like artistic stealers of mm. our time, I would argue. Um, case in point, Three Penny, he took the script from his partner, romantic partner at the time. Um, well, they both oh, took it from John Gay as well, but like, okay. Well, right, that's true, yeah. <laughs> but so, yeah, so Brecht isn't, Brecht is a, Brecht is a good point if you're like trying to, I think, if you're like mm-hmm. trying to distill very succinctly, like what it is you're trying to, do in terms of like any mm-hmm. sort of theater that is non-realistic, Brecht is incredible. Sure. Um, mm. uh, but Paula has this like the, the idea of plasticity, but she also has this idea of teaching people in such a way mm. that is very much like, what is the play that only you can write? And that's why mm. in this class in particular, um, and I'll lead up to like the final assignment of the class. Cause that leads into my first play that we're going to awesome. be discussing today too. Um, mm-hmm. But Paula's, you know, you look at who she's taught and it's 
Sarah Rule and mm-hmm. um uh uh oh god what's and, only I mean, just like, and only Sarah Rule like Sarah Rule but it's like Sarah Rule Stephen Karam she taught Stephen Karam she's taught mm-hmm. like uh, a million Pulitzer Prize winners not actually a million but like she's taught so many of our like great mm-hmm. playwrights that like it really does feel like once you get into a class with Paula or you spend some time with mm-hmm. her plays it unlocks something in you that well, just like wasn't there prior in my opinion. I really want to encourage people to look up learning what she teaches because I'll I'll just give it a brief thing of Please. why why I didn't actually look at Paula Vogel and why I was hesitant to do so is um one of her early standout plays is How I Learned to Drive. Mm-hmm. And um the content of that play should come with a trigger warning, frankly. Um, because it has to do with familial incest. And um, that is a huge trigger for me. And they just threw the play at me in 2008 in my playwriting class because we weren't talking about triggers. I mean, honestly, I could go throughout my life and the number of things that have been given to me since like middle school that absolutely triggered me, but we had no language in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, even like sort of the first half of the 2010s. yeah. And so my association with Paula Volga was, nope, never, never, never again, never, 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 ever, ever, never, never. Hmm. Um, hmm. And so I, when you said I need to engage with her work, I was very trepidatious um, hmm. because, honestly, I'd been harmed before. Um, sure, sure. So, but what I found is, and I do think this is important, and, and this is sort of similar to Brecht. Brecht, even if you don't like him, his legacy is important to know. Um, Paula Vogel, mm-hmm. although, like, honestly, now I do want to read some of her more recent plays, and I just may never, you know, read How I Learned to Drive again. Um, sure. And you don't have to. And you, right. right, you don't yeah. have to. And we now live in a world where hopefully we have content warnings on everything so that everyone can take care of mm-hmm. themselves. Um, mm-hmm. But I was so, I was so angry, honestly, that I hadn't, that I'd been given this play sort of just contextless to read is sort of like, I don't know, this will teach a playwriting kid. And I wasn't actually taught Paula Vogel when she was just a state away. I was in Emerson and, you know, she's, mm. you know, just... She's at Yale at the time, right? yeah, yeah, I think yeah, so, yeah. 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 Um, and, and there was an entire world to explore with her ideas. Something that's mm-hmm. been surprising to me over here, we had a really interesting... Um, Q&A at the Shakespeare Institute with Adrian Noble, who is a well-known director and playwright here. And he founded, apparently, the first playwriting course of study in universities in the 80s here. So he taught like Sarah Kane and so on. Wow. But the UK doesn't actually have a history of teaching playwriting the way that America does. We have Hmm. about... Hmm. 50, 60 years on them. Um, so as much as, for example, I also don't care for O'Neill. I also don't care for like the, the blackening of the page, as it were, and, mm-hmm. you know, the proscriptiveness of the stage directions, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll be talking about regarding oh, uh, yeah. plasticity. Yeah. Um, but without O'Neill, Vogel would have nothing to rail against. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And Vogel would have been struggling to, especially as a woman, she already had struggles, mm-hmm. uh, to be heard and seen and make her ideas known as a teacher. Um, but yeah, that was a little surprising to me that we actually have a slightly longer history in America 
of the craft of writing plays. And it is resulting in this extremely exciting and I hope incredibly influential teacher who is still with us, at least at yeah. the time of recording. Yeah. So, sorry, that yeah. is a lot about a no, lot, friends. No, that was wonderful. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, well, first, thank you for sharing that with us mm. as well. That can be difficult, and I didn't mean to, to trigger you by bringing up Paula, too, I want to say. No, um, I, am so, I am so grateful. I am okay. so grateful. Okay, sure. I am angry at all my old professors, although I understand, <laughs> again, none of us had trigger warning cut like this is such a new yeah. idea right i mean right. we're still trying to navigate it is so in its nascent here in 2023 yeah. so like no 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 no. this is me being grateful good, good. grateful frustrated that i could have had this knowledge for decades <laughs> well <laughs> <And> i didn't <laughs> the thing, i mean like the thing i'll say to your teacher's point too like to teach how i learned to drive i feel like should never be taught in any sort of like even like mediary, like or intermediate, I should say, like mm-hmm. playwriting class. Like mm-hmm. how I learned to drive is for like deep advanced study, in my opinion. I the agree. play that you should teach is Baltimore. Baltimore Waltz is the play that you should teach. First. I'm sure that wasn't around at the time, but yeah, go ahead. It came out. It came out when in 1991. Never it was mind. One of her first big hits. Yeah. Never mind. Um, <laughs> it's it's an incredible play, and it's a play that mm. I would put up there. Like I would. For anyone, I think that eventually you could definitely teach a like class just about the depiction of AIDS in America, and that absolutely, play absolutely, yeah, absolutely needs to be on the the list. Though I think it is mm. the most one of the most brilliant plays ever written, especially in the last like thirty years. But yeah. Yeah, Paula, so Paula wrote wow. it for her brother who passed right. away, right? Um, and it's about it's basically imagining the trip that her brother had always wanted to go on from a Baltimore hospital. And it's, yeah. oh my God, it's so beautiful. It, like, it sounds it, so fascinating please. just structurally as well, because <laughs> um, we will link as well a workshop that Cato McNichol, who actually we put on um, one of her, a uh, stage reading of one of her plays way back in the day in New York City. Um, she gives a fantastic workshop that is recorded by the Dramatist Guild that gives even more information about um, like act structure um, based around what is the muscle, what is the engine of your play. So that um, while here we we tend to focus on much more epic, what Paula Vogel called epic structure plays, um, that is not the only form of of playwriting. So again, there's just so much friends. Like we could do yeah. a season. Yeah. <laughs> people people will be writing books. Again, we're just we are now sitting at the feet of. But speaking of which, um, two things. One, I have to grab a shawl and a diet coke. Can we pause for just a second? Then two, when yeah. we come back, you're going to tell us about what you learned and that got us to your first play. Yes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and Colin, also feel free to like shut me up. <laughs> No, no, this is great. This is wonderful. This is the conversation I wanted to capture, so. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, Go for it. I'm going to be right back. It is okay. cold here in the UK. <laughs> yeah. All right. Meanwhile. Yeah, well, I can, I'll just mention, I'll flag this, because I, I really appreciate your um, specifically noting that your analysis, an analytical angle for social justice is a Marxist one, because that's, way more important than people usually realize yeah because like same same i have the same issue with the word progressive right 
what does that mean? What are we progressing um, towards? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so I have a suspicion that our uh, way of analyzing social problems is is very much uh, uh, in line. They're very yeah. much in line with each other. I think it's why you like um, me as a writer. <laughs> it, it's a very, there's a very good chance. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I've definitely not done the homework the way that you have. Like I've definitely been leaning into other ah. writers. Well, but, we can get know. a beer and I can, I can give you <laughs> just the lecture me on Marx's theory. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> I'd be happy to. Cool. Um, okay. Thank you, friends. So, yeah. But enough of me interrupting you. <laughs> <laughs> You're good. You're so good. No, um, so yes, yeah, so we took this class on Paul Vogel and um at uh, so and like we're learning all this stuff, we're reading her plays, we're we're reading all the theorists that have she's like, you know, learned from. And also Sylvan loves to talk about the fact that like Paula is so good at like teaching playwrights how to structure their stuff and then she never follows the actual things that she teaches in her audio yeah. of her plays so you know when you read her plays you're like what are you doing here but <laughs> that is to say that about midway through the class sylvan said to us um i want you to write a impossible play so a play that is literally impossible to put on the stage Ooh. um and i love this so I have this. I'm familiar inter- with this through Sarah Rule, but I yeah. love I love yeah. this. <laughs> so it's and it's a, a it's a Paula Vogel assignment that she gives every single one of her like first year playwrights at Yale or Brown. She would give this assignment to them to write the impossible play, the only mm-hmm. that they could write that could never be staged. And so mm-hmm. at the time, I, I, I just want like, for our listeners that would be the ultimate closet drama. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, but so. I like I I think it's really important to know my history and where I'm at and like mm. I am struggling with understanding Marx and I'm struggling with understanding the theater and the theater I want to have this like Marxist progressive social justice theater right like mm. and then there's this like intense like wild theatricality of Will Davis and I was given I remember this so vividly I was given the assignment on a Thursday and. I took the whole weekend. I had no idea what I was going to write about. I was just like <laughs> reading the paper. And then Monday morning was the first time I've ever had classes canceled because of fire safety. Oh. And mm. they shut down part of UCLA's campus because of how close the fires were to us. Right. And I was I was just like in my head and I was like, that's a pretty dramatic stage picture. <laughs> And so I like just started looking up stuff about the wildfires Mm. and then stumbled on the California conservation program. And it lit such a, not to be a disgusting pun user here, but it lit such a fire (laughs) under me that like (laughs) it, it, it like, I think anytime that you, I write a play, like there's like this burning intensity that comes with whatever the play's subject matter is Mm. that is so intense. It just guides me through the first draft. Yes. So I find out the California Conservation Program, for anyone who's listening that does not know, is a program that California uses to use inmate labor um, mm. in, in lieu of using any sort of like actual government labor forces that they have. And so it can be like anytime you see someone like on the side of the road picking up trash or cleaning up mm-hmm. parks or since 19, what is it, 1918, fighting wildfires. Um, so it is labor specifically designed yeah. for that. Um, and it infuriated me that these 
people were making 12 cents a day. Mm. Um, a day. And yep. a day. Yeah. And it was just so intense. And I'm reading all of these. And also like UCLA, I should also mention, has an incredible oral history project that you can still access mm. online. So if anyone's curious, like go there. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading oh. all of this information about laborers and firefighters and people incarcerated and Mm. school had been shut down and I had to write an impossible play. So I wrote the worst play I'd ever written, which was (laughs) the first draft of Where the Love Light Gleams, which was a sea shanty musical before like sea shanties became cool on TikTok. I wrote this like sea shanty. Yeah. I wrote this sea shanty musical because it was the only way my brain could fucking like figure. Mm. Sorry, I'm cursing. I don't know if we curse. Uh, No, it's it's perfectly fine. Okay. I just want to make sure. Um, Sorry. Um, But like it was the only way my brain could like figure this out. Mm. And so I wrote in like the course of like two days, I wrote an 80 page sea shanty musical about the California conservation program did a reading of it and everyone who read it was like there's something here but it's not this Mm. this is (laughs) terrible this is terrible and i was like well like what is it and so i like took a step back from it Mm -hmm. like really thought about the plasticity of the page and then Mm -hmm. realized that like i was not playing enough with that and that's how Mm. verse came into play and that's how the Mm. development of all of this comes in because to me, what was so exciting about having the right side of the page just be the, the like, prescription, right? Like, it's the stage directions for me right. are so much about the structures that hold us together and, like, force us to go. It's what says end of play. It's what gets us to the next scene. Mm. It's all of that nature. It's also me prescribing how the stage action must force so that the play can continue on. And so it felt mm. very institutional to me and still does. Mm. Whereas the left rail, which is how I've set up my page, left and right, and these two yes. things that are just battling each other. If, if you were um, to look at it, friends, um, essentially there are three columns. There's a central column for the name of the speaker. The left column is the dialogue, the right column. And justified to the right is uh, any sort of direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just found that intensity of the two sides fighting each other mm. so invigorating. Mm. And so I rewrote the play. And it came out to 96 pages. <laughs> and I would say that like 80% of what that play is now was there that day. Wow. And I did that, wow. in, the, I did that in one week. Um, <laughs> turned it in. My professor was like, this is pretty good. <laughs> you should submit this places. And so the only place that was open for – like submissions at the time was the Kennedy center. So I submitted it there, not thinking about it. And then, mm-hmm. um, Paula came the second quarter. I still remember it was so weird. So, was in a, okay. So I wrote it in a Paula vocal class. Like, remember that the okay. second quarter Paula's in residence. And so she's just teaching us how to continue to write in that class. <laughs> she leaves, she leaves like f- in like mid February. And the week after she left, I got notification that like I won the Paula Vogel award. <laughs> so I won under her wow. tutelage. It was very, very kismet. And it was just so beautiful to like mm. have that. And so Paul and I still like get to talking every once in a while. And it's what? like just very beautiful to like have that connection with her now. Mm. But so mm. that was definitely like where I started with verse, which was like I was a failed lyricist. And the only <laughs> way I could like really seriously, like it was like the only way I could figure out how to like make this work for me as a as a dramatist 
was in the lyric, was in the verse, was in the like building of it that way. Well, that actually is one of my questions. Did you see it as verse? Um, you know, I get, I got, I get asked this question a lot, like in, oh, in, about my plays really? in general. And yeah, really? I, cause I, cause especially when I'm working with an actor, like the actor's always mm. like, well, like how this should be performed in such a way that is like, like heightened because it's in verse. And to mm. me, mm. even if you like listen to how I talk, mm. I talk in clip speech. All mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. stuff is like, it's just like the weird, like Philadelphia, like intense way that I like approach <laughs> language in general. Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it's like, no, this is just like the logical way this thing should come out in terms mm. of like feeling the most naturalistic way of speaking, which is mm. weird because like when you see it on a page, it's like, no, this, it's it's verse. It's, it should feel heightened. It should feel such a way. And I think what it does for an actor, not to speak on behalf of all actors who have performed my work before. No, but you've spoken that, with actors. So tell us yeah, what they're saying. Yeah. yeah. Is that um, it gives them at least the opportunity to understand that like, this type of heightening or the type of mm-hmm. like work that I'm asking an actor to do can come mm-hmm. from any character. Cause I think mm-hmm. it's also like pretty not to call myself revolutionary or call what people do revolutionary, but I think mm-hmm. giving the idea that an inmate could have a moment of like pure, beautiful catharsis in the middle of a fire mm-hmm. that is this like wild monologue about God and feeling left behind. Like there's just mm-hmm. thinking about like the monologue I have in it. Like, breaks something in the brain of the individual who's reading it. And this is where it comes with plasticity. It's like the second we start allowing for characters who have otherwise been shunned from having these wild, beautiful, Mm -hmm. magnificent thoughts, the second we start breaking that down is the second we go towards this like Marxist just society I want to see, which is giving people the opportunity to kind of what Paula says where it's like, mm. you know, making the rock rocky, like pushing things away, like making us abstract <laughs> things and like see things in a way that we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important as writers. We need to be doing that it's the type of world building. We need to be really making. I, I find it fascinating that people are seeing essentially line break and going, well, this must mean essentially higher class. Um, yeah. Which is a little bit like, <laughs> well, um, in my, in my it's, head, it's ridiculous. No, I, no, I agree. It's ridiculous. I'm just, I'm realizing this is what we've been handed from what people presume about how Shakespeare uses um, paragraph versus verse, even though right. the majority of Hamlet's language is in paragraph form. Mm. Uh, so just just always want to throw that out there that we make these <laughs> grand gestures and then, but Hamlet? Okay. Anyway, right. Fine. And, and, and one, of the, <laughs> one of the points we make a lot is that Shakespeare, one of the points of this podcast existing mm. is uh, taking the opportunity to remind people that even Shakespeare wasn't precious about his own massive air quotes rules. Mm. And he broke them all the time. And that verse is a set of skills and tools that all of us still have access to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. As you were saying, Kyle. Nobody can write your play. Mm. What if instead of sounding like Shakespeare, you just tried to sound like yourself? And I think one Mm. of the reasons I wanted to have Mm. you on here is because throughout your work that I've had the pleasure of of seeing over time and over your own development, Mm. you have sounded uniquely like yourself, (laughs) uh, which is why I wanted to talk with you. (laughs) Um, Well, I think one of the things that's lovely about – because whether – Shakespeare intended or not for verse to be only for high class and for, 
you know, paragraph form to be for low class. Um, that has been schwumpf, to use our word, that has been uh, believed throughout time, that has been leitmotifed. And so that means that as a playwright, you can use those suppositions to, in fact, as you say, make a point mm-hmm. that an inmate, um, you know, can, can with a cat stare at a king. Um, and I, I'm curious, I'm wondering if it would be all right to maybe take a look at um, the monologue or the speech that you're just talking about and, and have it read here. Would that be okay? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, okay, so hold on. Let's find it. <laughs> Where it's after is the big, it? It's after the big fucks, which I think is like roughly which, which is middle one of, of the play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is one of um, Colin's favorite parts. Um, so well, actually, yeah, well, that was when I realized mm-hmm. that like I didn't know the term plasticity un- until mm. we were preparing for this podcast. But that that's when I was like, oh, okay, he's doing something really interesting here. Um I the term I had for it was like kinetic typography, but mm. that's more mm. of like a video. No, I kind of like tool. that actually. Um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, great. Uh, Keep but that was song, that was like, oh. Keep singing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great. Um but yeah, I was like, okay, okay, something really interesting, something act- something that feels really actually new is happening in this in this text. So I'm still scrolling So I am here. seeing this on page 49 um, as it is enumerated at the top of the page. Um, page 51 on the PDF document. And um, I'm wondering, maybe we could just do the scene 1am, if that's all right. And... Let's see, you know, and then stop uh, at the end of of the speech on 53. Um, So the names of the characters are their inmate numbers, which is very Victor Hugo. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, I dig it. Oh, man. And I, I find it really interesting that you said this was born from sea shanties because when you read it, like you could get that sense in the first few pages where it's dig, dig, you know, and it, just sorry, but I'm again thinking, look down, look down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, I, yeah, I could see how lame is can definitely like <laughs> lean into it. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Well, that there's, there's, um, I mean, they're all drawing from the same language, you know, which is of oars yeah. and of sounds and of, yeah, the rhythms that, that keep inmates going. You know, do you know what's, um, what's funny though mm. about that point you just made is that mm. was the first thing I wrote after I was like I can't do the sea shanty stuff anymore. Like I'm not <laughs> kidding. Like that was the first thing that, that and that scene's pretty much I've like not touched that scene much because it like mm-hmm, it gets mm-hmm. everything I'm trying to get out. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Like, that that was like I'm done with sea sh- sea shanties. Here we are, <laughs> and like it's the most sea shanty of the nonsense in this play. Yeah. No, but but you went to sea shanties because there was something in there. You know, yeah. I mean, for me, it's the connective tissue that like forces mm. us all to sing this, like they're work songs. Mm. And so yeah. I wanted to create basically a work song for people who have otherwise been mm. forgotten of as workers. You know. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> I I am wondering. I, I I'm wondering. Would you be willing to read as well, Kyle? Because there's three sure. characters. Um, would it be okay? Uh, if 
if I just took the smallest bit of, I think it's 41212. Okay. Kyle, do you want to take the the fuck sonata of 77312? <laughs> sure. Um, and... Colin, would you be game to do the this the soliloquy of two one five oh seven? Sure. Uh, now I want to make sure that we're working from the same edition. I'm, Mine is I'm going from, from the one that Kyle sent. <laughs> okay, so I have I might have an older version. Have you revised this since April first of twenty twenty? Oh yeah. Hold on. I'm gonna send you. It's 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 in the thread <clears throat> that has yeah, the zoom. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll grab the right PDF. <laughs> I have an old version, oh, which good. would have been the one that sure, I sure. that I read long ago. Uh, so we can trim this out. As it's well. gotten better, Colin. Like <laughs> since since that, I will say that it's had a couple workshops. Nah. And I'm very happy with, the, oh, with this place gone. Yeah. Yay! Awesome. Although this is okay. also yeah, we don't we don't talk about the industry, but like anyway. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. Give us, spill the tea. What's going on? I, it, this was a, I was very lucky. I went to the Kennedy Center with this. It was like, mm-hmm. you know, a semifinalist for the Relentless Award. Mm-hmm. It opened a lot of doors for me in like 2019. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in 2020, they all slammed shut so hard. And so mm-hmm. I feel really, when I talk about this play, I feel really um, estranged from it in some ways. Because it's the um, first play that people really took mm. seriously. And mm. now it's like, I, it's hard to get people to read it because it's like, oh, this is a play from the before times. And it's like, mm. no, stuff still goes on. And it, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's, it's a weird The connection. fire's aren't going anywhere. Yeah, give no, it, they're not. <laughs> give it time. Give it time. Yeah. The, the plays that are important kind of go through these weird growing pains like right. this with the world. Um, yeah. Hang hang in there. <laughs> That's encouraging to hear from myself as well, because I've been feeling very similarly about like, oh, so that that world I worked so hard mm. to enter doesn't exist anymore. And also, it's just not coming back, is it? <laughs> yeah. I'm not quite the same right now. Um, but it doesn't mean that the world the work we make uh, doesn't have a place Mm-mm. in the world as it's been remade. So well, and the world that keeps note, remaking itself. It does. It's you know I've exactly. been through multiple versions of this world already, and it, not all <laughs> of those required a pandemic to change them. You know that's true. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yes. So I have the right uh, script now. Great. Cool. So on page so forty nine, literally yeah. on the same page. I'll do stage directions as well. Okay. Um, and okay, so. If, if you are not reading along, uh, there are incredibly short lines. I'm talking monosyllabic <laughs> short lines, um, sometimes disyllabic. And uh, when we get into what I now like need to call the fuck sonata, um, you would see what we would call a mode of typography, but, uh, or a mode of formatting rather, and uh, kinetic typography, according to Colin, plasticity, according to Paula Vogel. Um, but essentially, it's uh, that words start getting strung together, words start getting capitalized, uh, words start changing font. I believe Colin talked about this way back in season one, but here we are, friends, we're finally here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that the final page is is just full of the word fuck with a million U's from side to side uh, in huge font. And then it will be followed by this um, 
Again, fairly short lines. This is what we would call proteostichic lines. Um, many of these lines, well, it seems to go back and forth between end-stopped and end-jammed. Um, but it is it is fairly narrow columns that sort of, to me, if I were looking at it concretely or morphically, kind of, um, well, honestly, on the side of it, kind of look a little bit like flames now that I'm looking at it. Um, which is just kind of neat. Oh, that's neat. interesting. Set it on its side, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, so anyway, so we're going to see how this sort of hits us. But before we do, as as actors, let us ask you, about how fast or slow do you tend to hear your work conducted? Or is there anything in particular that we should know? Where Obviously, if things are strung together, we'll string them together. If things are in caps or larger, we'll give them volume, things like that. Nope. To uh, quote the great Will Davis, he has two rules for play, and that mm-hmm. is run before you're ready and strong and wrong. And like that's the only type of Love that. acting notes <laughs> I will ever give. Run before you're ready, strong and wrong. Okay, here we go. The scene is called 1 a.m. The fire has spread. We're in the woods somewhere. 412 and 2 is standing in the clearing, hunched close to the earth. Fire surrounds them. She's dug out a circle to keep themselves safe. Anyone? Can anyone hear me? Hey! Gosh dang it, this is bad. This is so bad. Bad, 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 bad. We're taken to another part of the fire. 77312. Fuck. 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 She thinks about moving. A step to the left. No dice. Fuck. 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 She takes her shovel, digs up some dirt, starts to clear a little path. Fuck. Fuck, 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 A particularly hot area, she singes her arms. Fuck, 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 she keeps trying to dig herself out. Cut to another part of the forest. 21507 is there, working in the midst of cacophony. Ah! Oh, what's the use? In these flames, there is no use. There is no... There's a little clearing, clear from the fire, but filling with smoke fast. She digs out a little circle for herself. 21507 starts to pray. Hey, God. Hope you're up there. <laughs> Hope you're listening. Um, what does this mean for me? Am I to die on the side of a mountain like Moses? Naked, never realizing the future of what I could be? Is this the miraculous end to life I was promised by loving you? I, I do love you. I love you with everything I've ever known. Every little cell that stitched me together, but I don't get why. In Leviticus, you come for people like me. You thrust, you thrust fire and brimstone in our faces and expect us to gag away our life, to want, to, to your want and desire. Don't you love me too? Aren't we, in some magnificent way, lovers? Needing each other endlessly, not for purpose, but for hope and joy? I want desperately to feel your love back. I'm not a bad person. I followed, and then I had to save myself. I didn't know she would die. I promise I didn't know she would die. 
but he persisted, and I watched. We were so hungry. You saw. I mean, I guess I still believe you're up there. I just want to know that you love me back, that my starving and my pain for your love is valid, and that you will not... I don't know who I am. Am I a follower of you who hates who she loves? Or am I who I love? Do I resent you? You know what? Go ahead. Take me now. If I'm so wrong, and if it is so right to be punished, take me now. I don't blame you. I love you. I trust you. But I will never choke who I am. If you love me, you wouldn't want that. So what'll it be? Miraculously, a light through the clearing shines. And we'll pause there. Um, but the people see each other then. Oof, this must be quite a scene. Holy damn, cow. Dude. And it is. Oh, I fucking love this place. So <laughs> musical. So musical. Yes. Well, exactly. Mm. And I wanted, that's something I wanted to draw out, actually. And this, like, so one thing we just, we discuss frequently um, is the, the, essential value of interdisciplinarity not just to being an artist but especially mm-hmm. to being a verse artist and i'm like i can see in this play all of these things that you have already pointed out from your history which is one of the reasons we started there mm-hmm. of like well not only the the kind of cool detail of having an the ignatian pivot to to the arts <laughs> after an in- injury which i just thought that was i learned that today um but like this wild theatricality, the ideas from Paula Vogel, but also your background in music, like everything, everything you've mentioned is in here. Mm. Like you, like often for also, if listeners don't know, um, often the scripts themselves will open with quotes from music. I know you've always got, um, writing music, like writing music background, like background Mm -hmm. music playlists for your processes. And so this, like your work is, is actually suffused, uh, with a music that, um, whether we can are are conscious of it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is something I talk about with sound design a lot, you know, sound design is way more about how you make the room feel mm. than what you're putting through the speakers in a literal sense that you want people to hear. And so there is that under, oh, that's all present in this, but in play form, like there's, there's some, there's a thrum mm. underneath this um, that is driving it forward. And I love that you talked about having this, uh, this you know, essentially a, a fire in your belly. Mm. Cause I, that's another thing I think I respond to in your work mm-hmm. um not just the wild theatricality and correct me if i'm wrong the stage directions require the stage to be on fire the whole time correct yes um it does <laughs> this was your impossible <laughs> play right it, it speaking of impossibility because yeah, like, like that and that's like the the basis of it right it's like mm-hmm. let's make a play for people who would never get to perform it that is on fire the entire time and mm, yeah. has like there's later on in the play there like literally is someone hanging from a cliff you know like and there's all this impossibility about it. It's very and- low Wally, but anyway, sorry, I don't know if you know that opera. <laughs> You're good. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, but I I was very lucky. Right before the pandemic, I was able to do mm. a like a staging of this script. We did like what? two nights in a, in a old. It was beautiful. It was this old television factory in on UCLA's campus. 
Oh, wow. And a director friend of mine whose name is Claire Edmonds. She's going to be a huge star one day. She's incredible. I feel Um, I know that name. She uh, did train spotting in New York for a long time. There's like a train spotting. That's how I know that name. Yeah. Um, And uh, Andy Barrett uh, played the Ewan McGregor role in that. And he's played Mike Cuban and he's a fantastic actor. So. Got it, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where, yeah, amazing. That's great. But, yeah, um, that's cool. So, yeah, Claire was a year, she was a second or first year when I was second year. Mm-hmm. And basically, there was some like weird nonsense. This is, this will make sense, I hope. Uh, but there's some like weird <laughs> nonsense with like the, the, like our school. And like, they were like, in your second year, you don't have any sort of like public staging. And I was like, that's bullshit. Like, there's all yeah. these theaters on stage. Like, let's just do something. Yeah. So, I, designed like a reading series for us and it was Good. like every playwright gets two weeks every second year playwright gets two weeks and do whatever they want and nice. i asked claire to direct this and she was like can i just do a full thing i was like absolutely and so what i learned from that and i hope that no playwright or a director i should say ever listens mm-hmm. to this if they want to direct this play because like i want to hear their <laughs> thoughts too but claire's right. thought was like because of the way that like verse is instilled and verse is used in this play Mm-hmm. Yes, the play is on fire the entire time, but the stage does not literally have to be. That yeah. if like the car- if you have good enough actors and you have good enough smoke machines, people <laughs> will believe the stage is on fire the entire time. And it was yeah. it was so beautiful. And to like watch this play, this scene in particular, mm. in like the smoke, and to like watch oh as my like gosh. actors like use their sh- used their shovels to try and like literally fight the smoke was like enough and it was pretty incredible yeah wow yeah well there's something about um i mean that comes back to the empty space um you know it's amazing what you could get people to just imagine hallucinate Mm -hmm. collectively yeah Yeah. (laughs) You you know um well, again, the number of the end of Shakespeare plays where you're just running on, it's only two people kind of waving a sword and going, ah, and you're like, oh, there's an entire battle happening. <laughs> uh, yeah. um, well, it goes back to actually, when did you first use, you know, your He-Man and Rainbow Bright and make them spies? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. and you believed it, you know, right. it was real. So we forget about that with that theater does not have to be naturalistic, that the audience can be um, imagining with you. One of the things that I love about this, and because I, I just hear this as a three-part, very quick symphony, really, you know, between between the three where you get that really short, um, bad, 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 you know, but we start with language and then we go into just one sound that sort of ceases to be a sound and becomes just percussion into again the um the the fuck movement um which sort of grows in this beethovian way mm-hmm. um and then after this prolonged loud sound where again again the word fuck ceases to be in anything and yet it's in everything right mm-hmm. um yeah. <laughs> to go into uh this very delicate um, and I was noticing that you, in between, you have a beat, a moment, a beat, a beat. So you get the sense of of pause so that you have uh, strophes, you have movements, you have verses and refrains, um, but you also have 
extremely poetic uh, language about, uh, you know, <laughs> what a mortality raw and what it means to be alive. Faith and, <laughs> and right, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and that sort of building up. So, so in fact, you, yeah, you move away from the sea shanty, which is rigid, um, into symphony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that you, you know, want to draw out from mm. from what we've or highlight? No, those those read beautiful guys. I always, you guys keep talking about it. You guys are great. Um, <laughs> no. Uh, I I just yeah, I the, I really do think that we need I, I just like from what I've learned from this play is that like mm. we as writers need to keep challenging other writers mm. to to believe in the impossible. Because when we believe in the impossible, we get plays like this. We get plays like Eurydice. We get plays mm. like um, uh, Indecent. You know, like we get mm. these really beautiful testaments to what we are feeling so deeply in that moment in ways that we never thought we could ever truly get across. So that's all I'll say. <laughs> let me ask a few. It's gorgeous. That is gorgeous. Um, let me ask a few technical questions. Colin. Please. Um, what did you feel when you were performing it in terms of just purely the verse? How did it guide you through? Well, let me I'll, I'll take a look mm-hmm. back. I I found myself um, so for context. Mm-hmm. Um, this was I would say a, a cold a cold read. It's been a while since I've since I've taken a look at this text. This is also a newer draft um, <laughs> than I had previously. Um, it's it's a very clear journey. I, mm. I think that the beats are in justified places that actually are helpful in terms of like a courtesy to help the actor yeah. just have some cues on, hey, something's turning here. Well, um, that's what I was feeling is that each beat tells you there is a change of ouvril, performative energy into yes. the next strophe. So th- this is really written in strophic form in stanzas um but that yeah beautifully each one is going to require you to shift something to twist and turn it Mm -hmm. yeah and i think the the way that the lines are cut Mm. um is extremely helpful it's 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 part of so it it reminds me of another kind of feature that we've spent some time discussing on this podcast of like this ongoing modern verse drama renaissance that isn't Mm -hmm. necessarily acknowledged as such. And one of the reasons, another reason I wanted to talk to you, Kyle, is Mm -hmm. because you're one of very few playwrights I've heard talk about um, your work while consciously saying, hey, I'm doing verse. Mm -hmm. Whereas a lot of other playwrights, like, um, you know, we talk about Jeremy Mm O'Harris or Will Arbery, are writing Mm -hmm. using similar devices, but it's not, at least in the popular conversation, it's not being discussed as First drama, you have something to add, Emily? Well, I was just going to say what's what's fascinating to me is as you were mentioning, Kyle, the different uh, people that you've met along your journey, I would look up their work and I kept seeing, again, it's protean stickic verse, which means it's not making that rectangle, that the end of the mm-hmm. line is sort of, right, it's protean, it's moving, it's doing what it wants. Um, and y- so this is incredibly common. I'm curious sort of who did you learn from that you could cut a line. Um, is it just always there? But but yeah, no, most people will not acknowledge it as 
verse. Yeah. <laughs> which um, which is I I we're we are we're talking to you in some ways trying to like as detectives going so tell us when you learn how to cut a line. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I well I think that like this play was much more of me being like let's go and do it, and then like the mm. next two were the when I'm like really like okay I know how to do this now like in mm. terms of like playcraft, mm. but with this one um, the playwrights chuck me charles me like i think is yes pretty important um for my mm-hmm. writing in terms of like the way that i would think about the page um there's this irish playwright named brendan bahan who um most people only know him as like the the drunkard that would come on uh, johnny carson's show but he <sighs> was an incredible playwright and a member of mm-hmm. the ira and he's got a whole wild backstory um Whoa. Well, like if, if we yeah. if we want to talk about uh, verse drama, Ireland has more or less never lost lost no. verse drama um, and acknowledges verse drama. So, uh, although yeah. some of the historians that I'm reading of verse drama right now are so racist, <laughs> we're like I think we're we're all we're all descended from we've got Irish blood in us as Americans. Yes, is that true or yeah. no, yeah. Colin? The three of you? us here. Yeah. Oh yes, yeah, <laughs> and um, being Irish in America is a very different experience than being Irish mm-hmm. in Ireland. But I'm reading this and just going, just shut up, just take the word Irish out of your <laughs> mouth, you yeah. 1977 man. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But but proudly, I am learning. Uh, no, Ireland never never went through the same identity crisis that England can't seem to get itself out of. No. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I also want to say just like in general, like, mm. um, so a, a tangent that I think will actually lead into the next play that like will also cool. help us all with this. Um, Great. So when I went to the Kennedy Center, the, with, so this play wins the Paul Vogel, I go to the Kennedy Center for a week. Right. And um, it was a really weird and intense time because you're here with like some of the best young playwrights in the country who have gone on mm-hmm. to have like very big careers themselves, like um, Benjamin Ben and Noah Diaz, who's a writer on a bunch of Hulu shows and just had a show at Roundabout and Dave Harris, like all these great writers. And so you're just like sitting around talking with them and like hanging mm-hmm. out with them the whole time. Um, and I remember vividly having a conversation with a playwright, um, Kira Rockwell, who's incredible. She's an incredible write- writer. Um, Colin, in particular, you should read the Purity play. It's really good. I'll send it to you. On it. Um, (laughs) Thank you. But she and I were like sitting there and she was like, you know, we started talking about legacy, um, which was like Mm. a really weird thing to talk about. Because to me, I'm like, what legacy am I going to be talking about with you? Like, and she was like, I feel really, I feel really stuck sometimes because I'm a playwright from the South. And so. Like everything, it automatically falls into like, well, what are you holding up to like what Tennessee Williams would have wanted? (laughs) And she's, yes. And so I was like, well, that's insane. And she was like, well, you must feel the exact same way about O'Neal. And I was like, what do you mean, (laughs) O'Neal? You read myself, like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, you're an an Irish-American playwright who's in touch with his Irish roots from the Northeast. Like you must feel something for O'Neal. And I was like baffled by the, wow. the the statement. Yeah. And I was like mad. 
And so now here I am. I like walked away and I'm like all ruffled and I'm standing in the atrium of the fucking Kennedy Center. Right. There's a giant face of John F. Kennedy. And yes. I'm like, it's like oh. the first time in my life that I really like put put it all together. And it was like, mm. it's kind of what starts the next period of my, me as a writer and the one that I'm still stuck in, I feel now. Awesome. Which was this idea of like, Yes, being Irish American is much different, especially in this day and age, is mm. much different than any sort of like Irish immigrant coming here or any sort of immigrant story coming here. Mm. But it is entirely important to understanding the legacy of yourself as a writer to mm. move forward. Mm-hmm. And so I went on a huge O'Neill dive that <laughs> following summer. Wow. And found that, like, yeah, there are some stuff, like there's some like pretty nice like Marxist elements to some of his plays that really were exciting for me. Like Harry Abe in particular, I think is a really beautiful play. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I was like, all right, it's time for me to like put all this like anger that I have towards that conversation, the legacy mm-hmm. conversation and find mm-hmm. a play that speaks to it. And I was very lucky a writer by the name of Ryan Stevens, who I was in school with, who's also a great writer, um, sent me this article and he was like, this is your next play. Cause I was like starting to play with like this idea of wild theatricality and like, how can we make the play just ridiculous? And it's this true story mm. of how in 1855 in Toronto, mm. um, William Allen, who was the mayor of the time. So basically for those of us listening who don't necessarily understand or know, not understand, but like don't know the history of Toronto as like a town in Canada as a, as a province, I guess, as mm-hmm, a, an mm-hmm. idea of like a colonial project. In 1855, Toronto was like a town of like vagrants and it was mostly like people escaping famine in Ireland who were coming Mm. to live in Toronto, but it was also the like super rich. So the super rich Protestants were coming to live in Toronto and William Allen received a letter from the queen and basically was told like, hey, we think Toronto is like the next big city. We want you to build it up. We want you to make it into like a, a proper town, not just a place for brothels and bars and debauchery. And so they decided to hold a clown troupe. They had like to have like a, <laughs> a day of circus. Um, and they hired a circus from Chicago that was Catholic and were Irish Catholic. <laughs> and for those of us who know anything about the troubles or anything about uh, <laughs> the politics of Northern Ireland, um, mm-hmm. so they came in, <laughs> excuse me, they performed, um, they had a really, they had a great show, I think, from everything I've read. And then they went to a <laughs> brothel that night that was run by these, uh, firemen, that these like firemen would also go to this brothel and these firemen were like poor Protestants and they got into a fight with the clowns and the clowns beat the shit out of these firemen. Yeah. And then <laughs> there was a emergency meeting of the orange order who still works in the north of ireland it's this order of like wealthy protestant men for the most part who like controlled a lot of the politics of of toronto through the 1850s or through the 1950s i should say and then also still have a pretty like firm grip in the north of ireland and their politics um Mm. and they knocked on people's doors and said these clowns are catholics they're cannibals they're going to eat you and a riot broke out the next day that nearly burnt half the city to the ground. And it's a true story. Whoa. And I was like, that's crazy. 
<laughs> I applied for a grant and I got a grant from UCLA and I went to Toronto for a week and researched this play. Wow. Um, oh. And I like sat, I remember like I had like the little white gloves and I'm sitting there in the <laughs> Toronto archives reading these old police ledgers and stuff like that nature and like <laughs> reading about this riot. And I came back to school and I was like, this is going to be my thesis play. I'm going to write a play about this clown <laughs> riot. And I remember my teacher at the time who um, said that she was just like this, you can't, no, you can't do this. Like, it's too big. It's too weird. It's too, it's too loud. And like the second you tell a playwright who has been like playing with impossibility and like mm. is an angry and writes from a place of <laughs> anger, you can't do this thing. <laughs> It's the second I'm like, I'm going to make it more loud and more angry and more ridiculous. And so I did. And so I distinctly remember reading the first act of this play, which is called mm-hmm. now called The Great Toronto Clown Riots of 1855, in class. And we read this really delicate, my, my friend Maddie, who's a writer, Maddie Mayer, she wrote this really delicate, beautiful piece about this woman who um, has an abortion and like it's like really tender. And so like we're reading this in class and we're all like, we're in it. We're like, just like, we're feeling like really intense. And I walk out to the hallway and there are a bunch of buffoons who are like hopped up on sugar at four o'clock in the afternoon. And they came in and we were so loud and reading that first act that like the other class, the teacher came in and was like, can you please be quiet? Cause we were so loud reading this play. And it made me realize like, that is what I was trying to do. I was trying to make this like maximalist, insane piece of theater and I did it right before the pandemic. What an entire, (laughs) this play in like 2019 finished it. I finished it March 1st, 2020. I had the first full draft of it. Oh my God. Oh my God. And then I remember we went, um, we like did a reading on March 13th. Cause they were like, they're closing school down. And we all were like in my apartment. I'm like, I don't want you guys to come. And everyone was like, we just need to get this out one last time. So like, fuck, luckily we were safe and no one, there was not a super spread event. Thank the Lord. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was like 15 of us reading this play. And then the next day we didn't, I didn't, you know, hadn't wow. done a reading and yeah, it was insane. It was insane. But that's what led me to writing clown riots as it is now. <laughs> so lovingly <laughs> referred to. Okay, so how uh, what are some things that that have developed then um in in your style? You're you're allowing yourself to be louder, you're allowing yourself to go silly. A, a quick look at the script. I'm seeing the same style of the left is where language is, although um the names of the characters are now sort of centered over the left column. The right is uh, the directions or commentary sometimes mm-hmm. <laughs> from yeah. from the playwright. Um, in fact, you even it seems you, you've got a favorite font. Um. <laughs> yes, I've I've settled on Avenue Twelve, and I have been or Avenue Ten, and I've been stuck in Avenue Ten for four years now. <laughs> what um, do you like about Avenue Ten? It, it's a sans serif. It's a nice yeah. round, clean. That's it. I just, I like the clean, I think it's easy to read. And I like, really, that's what it comes down to. I've tried in recent months going to Courier Prime. um, Oh. And I, every time I do it, I'm like, this is working. And then like around page 20, I switch back to Avenue (laughs) 10. Um, So I, 
I don't know. It's just something that's like very clean yeah. about it. It's like it's just off the the path. Although I'm finding strangely in mm-hmm. like the writers that we've mentioned in the Will Arbery and the Jeremy O'Harris of it all, they right. also use Avenir. And like so I'm curious. I think that that's like a whole nother oh. maybe episode of this podcast just <laughs> investigating why Avenir has become the huh. the writing of the yeah. of the the verse poets I guess now doing right plays. well actually let me let me ask again so this is a play where you said to yourself this is in you know, parts of this will be in verse you were using yes. that word okay yes um so what does verse mean to you that that's the word you were applying to your own work and again sorry I am so sorry I may have frozen um did you ever answer like did you just see people doing um like, have people mm, – I'm trying to think. Because, again, like, I have seen the the line break, but you're – just so that I understand. So your use of line break is coming from a lyricist coming as uh, – versus you're using the word verse to begin with. I'm just trying to sort of – Get into my, like, when like am I really developing myself ye- as, like, a verse writer? Yeah, yeah, as opposed to um, – so, again, back to Adrian Noble – um, I asked him if he had ever used line break. He didn't call it verse, but he was like, yeah, he had a playwright in the 1980s who told him he had a huge paragraph and then um, he kept writing pause in that paragraph and the actor somewhere in the 1980s told him, if you just put a line break, you don't have to keep writing the word pause. Mm-hmm. And so he started doing line break then. And, and I've noticed that a lot of the playwrights who use line break but will not call it verse do it in very similar fashion to the way that you are where it's it's the end of the thought what we would call the shroomph where it's i want you to take a breath where it's trying to get that sort of chop sound um but again it, it's and yet we don't call it verse so yeah. i'm just trying to dig down as you have been through the american playwriting system more than i have <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, I so I think that any playwright, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be um, annoying for a minute. Please, and like, just say that, like, this is what I want. Yeah, no, I just think any any playwright who's like, it's not verse, it's just the way I write. It's just, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, it's verse, and like, it's not, it's ridiculous for us. To, yeah, no, I'm sorry, but um, no, no, I love just, it. I love it. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's, it's just, it's infuriating to me because mm-hmm. I think also there it comes from this place because like even okay now my brain's like mad but there was a time Good. in my life when I did not want to be called a verse playwright specifically because verse playwriting to me was English and ah. like as English you meaning it, I, like British British yes okay mm-hmm. and so there was like part of me that is like fuck this fuck and like mm. I and I, I can't believe I'm about to say this on this podcast I fucking hate Shakespeare and I still kind of do I understand people who love him <laughs> and I understand like and, and like because like Shakespeare to me is like a tool of colonial oppression in its own right and so yeah. like I have been in I at a time was like infuriated when people mm. were like oh like someone called Love Light Shakespearean because of the way that like <laughs> they described the stint and I right wanted to lose my mind and I I remember <laughs> thinking that it was like in March it was like right after the play was like produced like won this, the Paul Vogel and right. I was like why am I why am I so mad about being called a verse writer is it truly because of the colonial origins of the way I think of verse or is it like sure. something else and so in writing this play 
Mm. It's like, no, 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 no. It comes back to that principle that I talked about earlier, which is that, mm. like, verse for so long, even though I know, and I'm, again, as someone who hates Shakespeare, I'm just like, fuck him. I never want to read him unless I have to, right? That's fine. But Hold on but, to that. <laughs> but, like, the, the, the thing I'm trying to gather from that is, like, mm. Shakespeare is constantly writing about the kings and queens of our time. And, like, mm. the, the history plays were always the plays that were most exciting to me. And then I grew to loathe them. Right. Mm. And so because of that, and it's like, these are the plays that I'm seeing verse in is like the language of kings and queens. It's Uh. like that language doesn't necessarily exist in the mouths of the proletariat. And so Mm. as a writer now, I'm like, I am trying to push forth this idea that we are all capable of the wild and beautiful. And that's where my verse comes from. And I think that any writer who's like, oh, I just like the way it looks or, oh, I just like, it's just the way it comes out. Like, Mm. cool. Then like acknowledge that it's verse. Like it just feels weird. Because I think that also too, perhaps it's because they're like, it's not iambic pentameter. It's like no one's asking you to do iambic pentameter. And like just allow for verse, especially the way that poetry has gone, especially in the past 60 years in America. Like it's fucking free verse. And so Mm -hmm. it's like allow for that beauty to exist and allow Mm -hmm. for your characters to have the possibility of going someplace. So for me- now mm. as a writer it's like i want to give that to an actor as a tool in as a mm. terms of like the tool belt of my own plasticity and mm. so when an actor picks up my script they are then automatically given the opportunity to say to a director no this is a moment that actually has to be heightened because it's in verse and like it's yeah. cheat code because everything's in verse so it's like <laughs> it, it just allows for i think a actor to like allow themselves to be enveloped in the role mm. in a more succinct way than prose mm-hmm. ever does. And I think that, or, or the paragraph form, I should say, not prose, but. Thank um, you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll just, um, no, no, it's fine. And I, 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 I just, I just like, what are we doing to our actors? <laughs> it's just so stupid. <laughs> and it's like, it, it's, it's, it's this thing where we're all stuck in the fucking Stanislavski of it all and the oh realism and the yeah. naturalism. Mm. And it's like, it's a fucking play. For real. It's a fucking play. Mm. Let people get on stage and like believe in something beautiful for two hours. And like, that's where the verse comes in. And it's mm. like, if that's the start, if I can make an actor believe in beautiful beauty for two hours, then I can make an audience believe in beauty for two hours. And that's all I'm asking of that's playwrights so- to acknowledge that. This is so inspiring. I'm off my <laughs> fucking soapbox. <laughs> I know. I adore this. We've invited, we've deliberately invited you onto your soapbox, as a matter of fact. I, <laughs> I think. You're really going to Philly out of me. I really, I love it. I love it. I really had not put together the classicism and colonialism, even like it's it's been there, but to hear it put so succinctly um, just makes so much sense to me now about um, the resistance to the word. Uh, And yet, and yet, absolutely, you could see that many of the plays that use, that in fact use verse, end up, uh, particularly I would suggest from from American writers, um, end up having that subversion of class Mm -hmm. or that questioning or that, yeah, Mm-hmm. Yes, and that the language is not going to be antique and lyric. Well, it, it's not going to be antique, but as we just mm-hmm. heard, extremely lyrical. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, all of my plays, I come from a place of class and gender. Like, that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. it builds out from there. And, um, yeah, I'm just, 
all the other playwrights need to fucking relax and just acknowledge that it's verse. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with calling <laughs> right. yourself a verse writer. It's it's silly to deny. Well, if you start doing that, what what are the implications? What do you get if you call yourself a verse writer? What are some of the benefits? That's a great question and perhaps one that I don't have a great answer for. Um, I've never asked the question myself, so let's think together. Yeah, I, great. <laughs> um, I don't. I I think that in some ways it. Look, I've I've been called pretentious. I think any writer is called pretentious at one point or another. Sure. And so yeah. I think the second that you write in verse, you know, or or you uh, you uh, acknowledge that you're writing in verse, can like mm-hmm. seem like a very mm-hmm. uh, a pretentious thing to say. Mm-hmm. However, it, it's like I'm going to say this, and again, I'm not trying to say that I am a revolutionary playwright in the American theater. I am not. Um, mm-hmm. I am just a lowly writer who's trying to make sense of his <laughs> own idiosyncrasies. Um, but but your background uh, and your impetus is revolutionary. So we could say yeah, you are sure, a revolutionary yeah. writer insofar as that's your point. Yeah, I, and yeah. I think, but like that's the thing. It's like. Just take the tools from the master's house. Just steal them. Just fucking steal mm. them and give them to someone else. And like, mm. I don't know. I it really it hurts me to think a lot about the American theater right now and the where we've mm. gone and what it's, what we're talking about now. Just because I feel like a lot yeah. of it is shying away from class. And I think that there's just such an insane mm-hmm. class disparity uh, discrepancy. I think in this country mm-hmm. in terms of the way that mm-hmm. and and. In, in UK as well. Like the, uh, I would also say at this time is when I discovered Ken Loach and all of his movies. I don't know if <laughs> Colin, have you ever read or watched Ken Loach? Oh my God, Colin, there's like, you need to watch I Daniel Blake, which hey, we talked to him. We got to hang out. We do. We do. We do. <laughs> We're um, neighbors, bro. But, like, <laughs> but Ken, Ken Loach is like the best at it in terms of like, he, I mean, he basically makes agitprop, but sweet. He's so good at like, taking these tiny characters um, that otherwise would be lost to history and saying, no, mm-hmm. we're going to stop for two hours and we're going to give them the beauty and the grace of this. And you're yeah. going to like learn their struggle and learn their what's going mm-hmm. on in their lives. And I think that's like also where my verse comes from. It's like, why shouldn't, you know, like why shouldn't a bear who loves poutine be allowed to speak to the beauty of it? Why shouldn't Kevin. a Kevin I the love Bear? Kevin. Why shouldn't why shouldn't a, a man who's literally who to quote the play, which again I hate when playwrights quote their own plays, but quote unquote had the, mm-hmm. all the sectarianism punched out of him in this play? Mm-hmm. Why shouldn't we give that a beautiful moment? Why shouldn't mm-hmm. we give a beautiful moments to to sex workers and to mm-hmm. laborers and things of that nature? And I just think. When when a writer is saying I'm not a verse writer, it is such mm-hmm. a wildly um, unimportant question to have to defend because there's so much. There's just so much more out there that like we should be fighting about. It's like yes, why I don't. It's funny. I'm about to say this as I've been talking for two hours about writing. I don't love talking about writing because I think it inevitably becomes <laughs> this like intellectual debate, which like mm. is good and we need to have. And like when we are like, that's what we're talking about is wonderful. Mm. But when a writer is like, I'm just going to deny any sort of intellectualism and just say like, no, this is just my brain. It's like you're then you're that's mm. even more pretentious than just like acknowledging that it's verse in the first mm. place. Well, I yeah. And I actually this. 
this links up very neatly with how like I I react very similarly when any when anybody says claims um, to be apolitical. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. that's not possible and i'm fascinated that you think that's possible i wish i could live in that tidy little universe Mm -hmm. but um good luck with that right (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh i don't believe in in forms this is just how i think no there's something Mm -hmm. behind it you got that idea from somewhere and you better interrogate it otherwise you're beholden to it right exactly (laughs) (laughs) new forms Um, new forms man um i I'm curious if there's a part that you would really like us to maybe read or highlight from uh, the great Toronto Clown Riot of 1855. Oh, my God. I, it's huge. I know it's, <laughs> I know it's huge. There's, but a, there's a part the, I... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Emily. No, 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 no. Um, it's, that's, it's a hard question to answer if only because, like, mm-hmm. I the play is so built on the context of the thing that came right before it. Like it's definitely the play that is most beholden to plot of anything I've written. Mm, um, sure. And yeah, plot. And also like, not just the plot of this play, but the plot of like the conquest of Ireland from 1169 on, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it plays such just small, tiny, beautiful things. Uh, it's like, you have to know. Also the thing that like I have recently discovered in my history, which actually goes back to like a, an old thing I just want to bring up for a sec, is mm-hmm. that um, the people who were like the main plantation owners in the north of Ireland, uh, mm-hmm. the people who ran them were the O'Neills, which feels very funny to then like hmm. be writing this play um, as like a fuck you to everything that Eugene O'Neill's ever written <laughs> and like my <laughs> own way of, of taking it back. Um so that's fun. Um, but anyway, so I like, like well, because also, why don't you like, talk the, a little bit about the stage directions? Because so many of the stage directions are actually um, are full of onomatopoeic or Batman, you know, the, you know, da 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 that Batman. Um, how? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I, it, yeah. I, I wanted this play to be loud. I wanted this play to be maximalist. I wanted this play to, mm. to be. Uh, Listen, it's a fucking ridiculous thing. It's a ridiculous thing when you recognize that, like, this event, one, literally happened. Mm. But, like, the more ridiculous thing is sectarianism and racism. Like, that, like that is the mm. point I'm trying to make with this play is that, like, all of these people are clowns. Like, I, oh, the, the, the note I always get is, like, the play is called The Great Toronto Clown Riot of 1855, but the clowns don't show up until page 40. And it's like, you fucking clown. Like, read the play. Right there from the beginning. Like, everyone's a clown. Like, everyone in this play is a clown. And so I think... Don't you me, have a note about that at the very top, that everyone's a clown? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I do. Like, and no one remembers it. And it's, oh, like, okay. so right. ridiculous. But it's, like... But that's the thing to me. It's, like, this... But, but they're doing, sl- like, farce work, even in your stage structures for the very, very beginning of, like... You know, a, a Catholic person and a Protestant person step forward, and then someone shoots a glance at the Catholic person, and they step back. And then, like two pages later, for the first time in history, the Catholic is invited to step forward. Like, and that's, <laughs> that's right. in the stage direction. <laughs> yeah. Like to me, that reads as cloud. <laughs> right, and I, I yes, and again, I think it's like, listen, as writers, we have to retrain an audience to to read your play. Mm. Like that's what Paula says, Paula. Sorry for name dropping, but like Paula is Please, like the playwright teaches you how to read the play. You yes. do not have to have read any play prior to reading this play that is in my hands now, because mm. this playwright 
for this moment, for this 160 pages of this play, is the only person who is teaching you how to read a play. And so Mm -hmm. that is where stage directions become so important, I think, as a writer. And and Paula also talks about how um, she goes back and she reads, I think, I can't remember if it's Night of the Iguana or Menagerie by Tennessee Williams every year because there's like a very specific, I think it's Menagerie because there's a very specific stage direction in there that is about one of, and and it's like why O'Neill and and Williams to me are like still important, but it's like Mm -hmm. in the stage direction is like the picture of, there's a picture of a woman with blonde hair and um, I can't remember what color green, but it's like, and like very specific shade of green. And you, mm. and Paul is like, you realize in that moment that he is putting a picture of his own mother on stage. Mm. And now Tennessee Williams, who's been dead for, for however long, is speaking directly to me in this moment. And that forever yes. we have talked – we have not talked about stage directions in such a way. We've always, like, been taught that stage directions are just put in there by the stage manager when we're, like, finally doing the play. And, like, for mm, Samuel right. French versions, that may be true, right? And, like, mm. that's why we need to, like – break from that form you don't need to say go downstage left yeah no like we need to be building the world within it because now when i put in my stage directions Mm -hmm. you know uh again like for the first time in all of english history a catholic steps forward or yes (laughs) um or i'm putting pow or i'm putting like music choices or or what um, was it is it fire trucks even more fire trucks or something like that no, yes, trains, trains, even more trains. trains. Even more trains, yeah. Um, <laughs> or actually my favorite ones from it is um, animal sounds and then like even louder animal sounds or... Um, yeah, well, I'm seeing uh, one... Is that when somebody tumbles out of the bathroom? Yeah, it's when someone goes, it's, they're at the brothel. <laughs> so it's like the one that's seen where they're at the brothel, they open a door and you hear animal sounds and they close it and then they like... <laughs> They like open another door and it's like a mysterious hand appears and it's like, ah, mysterious hand. And it's just like, it's to build, it's it's also, it's just to give people permission to like, if the playwright's coming at this with like, this should be ridiculous and insane and wild and crazy. Why shouldn't the acting and directing be the same? I'm looking at a fight here. I'll read the stage directions if that's okay. And Please. these stage directions um, are on individual lines. So you get the sense again of the timing um, uh-huh. with, with many of these things, we also are developing the idea of bullet and whatnot. So, um, but I will read them to you. It goes like this. On the accordion's entrance, they both begin to sway into the ring. They size each other up, knuckles out. As the song picks up tempo, so do they. They swirl around each other. Those in the audience begin to pick up their jeering and yelling. A few small dabs, our punches are thrown. Nothing ever lands. It gets faster. And faster, and faster, and faster. Oh, wow, it's so fast. They are getting really close. It's loud in the joint. They are sprinting around the circle, real whirly-burly. And then, when the other instruments drop out and it's just the accordion, they both land a punch. Um, And so, like, and you get the sense of how to do that fight work. Um, Also, I want to, I want to, like, just point out the actual ending of that. Oh, yes, which is lovely. They both land a punch. There's a, there's... Mm. Two enter enter breaks, two line breaks. Then time nearly stops. We're stuck in the space between blow and blood, mm. where the adrenaline takes over and your body must respond. Ooh, like just to take us there from that playful, like ramping up to go into this freeze 
like the, well not not freeze but just like this moment yeah. of <gasps> this recognition the version i have doesn't have two spaces between they both land a punch and time nearly stops but like i would love more time than between that little stanza of time nearly stops <laughs> well <laughs> in the version uh, i have uh, at least anyway yeah that's a great point um I, I, what I want to speak to in this is like mm. this is there. There are a couple elements in this play that I'm like mm. forcing myself to play within a form that is like Ooh. outside even the realm of this. So okay. like, so the first one prior to this is, um, oh my goodness, an indecent proposal or a modest proposal, I should say. Um, the I was going to say, yeah, I was looking at yeah. the Jonathan Swift part before, which yeah. I really. Liked, yeah. <laughs> that was put originally put in as like a, I don't know what to put here, so I'm going to put a Jonathan Swift <laughs> thing because I was reading Jonathan Swift at the time. Right, right, And right. Um, it just ended up being like too perfect because for those of us mm. who don't, who are listening, who don't know, it's basically this oration that he gave in Parliament that is like, oh, what to do about the Irish problem. And he basically developed satire in this little yeah. thing of like being like, we should just eat the babies. They're plump. Like that's what we should say. Like and like <laughs> and how ridiculous it is to like be dealing with the like Hibernian problem that they would call it. Like mm. um so like that just becomes like a beautiful thing. So like inside that, it's like, well, it's really vivid to hear and to listen the oration of it, but like has anyone ever tried to put that on stage? And so like putting that mm. on stage in the most ridiculous manner possible became like a really interesting challenge for me as a writer to like live within that form. Mm. The more difficult challenge though comes with what we just read, which is the contortionist mm-hmm. tango, which is mm-hmm. this like, like Colin said, when I write, um, I always develop playlists along with what I'm writing to try and like Amazing. track the emotional journey of what I'm going through. Mm-hmm. And so I was watching a lot. This sounds, I was watching a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm when I started writing <laughs> this for the first time. And I fell in love with the fact that he, like, uses the same music over and over and over again. Um, Mm. So I found that music, Mm. and it's just these, like, polka – this polka album. And so I put (laughs) them all in this playlist. And then from there, it was like you're – you know, you're – and I put on Gogol Bordello, who's also this, like, um, Ukrainian Mm -hmm. or Russian – I can't remember – folk artist. But he makes, like, these – this really – beautiful song called start wearing purple which is this really like intense yeah like it's 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 really beautiful but anyway so i was like listening to that and i put that in the playlist and then this song called the contortionist tango was like the recommended song and i listened Mm -hmm. to it and it's just all of that stuff from beat circus is this really wildly flamboyant music and I think writing to music in this way mm. where it's like I'm writing verse to music. I'm not writing lyrics to to music. I'm writing scene to music, if you will. Right. Well, you're really yeah, spoken, yeah. spoken verse. Yeah. Spoken music. Yeah, it, it just it was it was a beautiful challenge and like something that, you know, like it's like I'm literally I think I'm prescriptive where it's like this takes 15 seconds. Like it's like this takes 11 seconds because I'm yeah, trying to match it to the music. When you're doing clown, when you're doing commedia, there is that sense. And in the Jonathan Swift part, you you do say make a bit around this, which, again, as someone who has very minor but, you know, some clown, very minor commedia in, in my background, I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, I get I get what the direction is. Um I think what's cool, though, is we have talked before, for example, um, in my episode of season two with The Table Round, 
in that stage direction is text mm-hmm. as much as languages. Again, for many people who are consciously verse dramatists, they get caught up in the words a character says, but there are words you can put on the page that a character embodies. Mm-hmm. And that's where, yeah, um, the stage direction, I mean, it, many of the stage directions here are written in verse as well. Um, but what you do with the stage direction is uh, is, is still plot, is still character, is still movement, is still text, is still what people are saying. As, I mean, any right. fight or intimacy coordinator will tell you, you know, mm-hmm. um, you're saying vastly different things if you stroke someone's cheek with your forefinger or with your thumb. Like, mm-hmm. the nuances <laughs> of those things matter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. And this also reminds me of, you know, my, my experience working verse. It is, it does require actually, you know, mm. this takes 11 seconds, this takes 15 oh, seconds. It requires that level of meticulousness for those beats to work. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, this is the beauty of any, any clowning. Like, it's actually, like, it looks silly and loose. But my oh, God, it is so precise. Well, yeah. <laughs> this actually because I, I, I in, in thinking about plasticity, um, my play, the other other woman, is a play that I was I was working. Yes, it's very language based, but the way that I directed it is also incredibly farce. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was trying to format it for submission somewhere, right, in a way that would make sense to other people. Because if I'm directing it, um, I don't need to put in stage directions necessarily because mm. um, I know what I mean, Yeah, you know, or I'm going to make <laughs> yeah. decisions or I want to leave it open or I will put it in if I'm writing it simultaneous to rehearsing it just so that I don't have to stop and give them the direction. <laughs> Do you know, like <laughs> that it's there in the yeah. text. I've already, you know, done my directing work simultaneously. <laughs> um, but, but I, I wanted, I, like, I was like, I almost need this, um, in in landscape, because I was thinking like oh, I yeah. I almost wanted to, there would be oh. gestures I needed people to do simultaneous wa- to the language, but I don't want to put it in parentheses on the line because I need you to keep the rhythm. Yeah, and I was getting very frustrated with now I have the language for it, the plasticity of the page, and I have felt this very often when writing farces, um, yeah. because it's how literally. How do I write this composition? Because language and movement, it 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 all. I mean, I'm sitting here going, maybe I would do better to write it on sheet music, you know, mm. just so that you could get. <laughs> the, I love that. That sounds the like a brilliant idea. Um, have you to, plugging two mm. other writers? Have you read um, Dan Dan LaFranc's The Big Meal? The answer to all of these are probably going to be no. So Dan LaFranc. Okay. <laughs> Dan LaFranc. Recommend away. Um, Dan LaFranc, he wrote it in uh, Landscape, and he has really? every single character's name at the top that's going to appear in the play. There's six actors in the play. Yeah. And so it's like anytime they have a, a line, it shows up basically like as like sheet music in that way. And then okay. one character is just yes. stage directions, and it's just like, oh, so now while all of these people are talking, here's the stage directions. It's a That's very similar to how, film, yeah, using but. columns is how um, David Ives does that for – Philip Glass buys a loaf of bread. I don't know if you've read that one. <laughs> no, I have not read it's, that. What a it title! Is, <laughs> okay, you specifically need to read that play. Okay, it is I will. Absurd and delightful, and I've always wanted to stage it. <laughs> yeah, 
And I won't tell you anything. Just go look it up. David okay. Ives, uh, Philip Glass buys a loaf of bread. But yes, I've got a copy of of The Big Meal here. Ooh, ooh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it is like a vocal score. Yeah. Yeah, because it's in columns and, across the top. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, Sylvan Oswald, who was my teacher at right. UCLA, um, impressed upon us that like we should be looking at performance artists. And I think that a lot of times yes. playwrights – neglect to look outside the realm of theater for inspiration in terms of like how we should be formatting our pages even Mm -hmm. because performance artists do this all the time where they'll they'll put pictures in and it'll be like oh the 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 typography of the stage is that of a a cube and it's like okay well what does that mean and like it, Mm. it just creates more i we have to be inviting designers directors actors yes. dramaturgs all the people into the script in a, in a sense of play we're doing a play mm. what does it what does the verb to play mean right mm. um yes and so i think uh, that's why i'm like curious my question for you emily is like why do you mm. feel inclined that you need to put in stage directions when like you know the shorthand for yourself like hypothetically if a director were to pick that up wouldn't they be able to like do you don't think that they would no, that's, that from it? that's a great question. And I th- I think actually you were given one of my scripts before. And it, if I remember this story right, Colin, and it, was it you? Or just, Colin, I thought you gave my script to oh, someone. Oh, no. I br- so I brought this up. I oh, sorry, was talking. It wasn't you. This was way, this was before <laughs> the podcast even started. You're off the hook. Um, so, <laughs> yes, this was before Hamlet to Hamilton was a thing. Um, I had just uh, recently, actually, oh my God. Yes. Oh. Wow. Okay. So okay. brain blast. Pre before times. <laughs> so you and I, Emily, meet for the first time on like December seventh. We have Damn. this workshop that changes my life. Right, right before uh, the world ends. Twenty nineteen. Yep. <laughs> like within a week and a half of that, mm-hmm. Kyle and I have brunch together mm-hmm. at Wildberry. Oh my god. And I So it is tell you him everything. <laughs> about oh that workshop <laughs> and i have your old the original packet oh that's right from the workshop mm-hmm. and i'm talking about all these devices that i learned about so i wasn't kidding when i said this conversation has been long and coming <laughs> like because that i was like dude i just went to this thing it only it's took us my, four, four years <laughs> we've all gone four to college now. in between but so, <laughs> yeah so so yes that that is that is the conversation you're referring to emily and so the the tool that I brought up mm. that was controversial at that moment mm. was your use of crossed out lines. Oh. And uh, I still I stand by I crossed found out lines. But. So well right, right. <laughs> and you know, if if especially like if you're if you're in the room or if you're directing it, this was the conversation Kyle mm. and I had way back then mm. about like under what circumstances would that be prudent to employ? Because, like, I found it really useful, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this before on the podcast. It's just, like, in a cro- and it depends on what you're trying to do. Um, I like the use of a crossed outline, at least how I've seen you employ it, because it makes it, it, it removes guesswork for me as an actor. Mm-hmm. I know what is being swallowed deliberately, mm-hmm. and specifically in the case of King Arthur, right. uh, where you've primarily i've primarily seen you use it uh, i would say he's we need he's to know the character exactly that used, what it is. used it, who uses it the most in my canon thus far yeah 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 and and we and it, it benefits us to know exactly what it is that he is deliberately swwallowing mm-hmm. um but th- so that's anyway that's the device but i, I think you about. also asked i think because I, I think what what colin relayed back to me kyle 
was that you asked this exact question of basically why we put stage directions in, um, which is a question, or why all these directions? Because uh, that is a question I have received. And I would suggest for me, and I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but this is where I'm at with it, <laughs> is um, sort of twofold. One, in regards to the verse dramas, the first time I wrote Cupid and Psyche, I had almost no stage directions because I was trying to do the Shakespeare thing. Mm. And um, then I sort of rethought it because I was like, why am I removing a tool from my toolbox that mm -hmm. I have? Um, and that was compounded with uh, the publication of several of my scripts and seeing how uh, whether people would deviate from what I'd written when they were specifically invited to and seeing that they weren't necessarily, mm. Um, mm. which very much frustrated me um, because I'm the sort of director. One of the things that I like about Shakespeare is no one's going to be angry at me if I go in and say, I'm doing the whole of Hamlet, but everyone's a cat. Do you know? <laughs> like, That's fair. Okay. I, I'm allowed to do that. If I did that to like the Iceman cometh, um, people. Oh, I'd love to see an all cat production of Iceman. <laughs> God damn, that'd be awesome. It, it might actually make it invigorating. Um, <laughs> anyway. Um, As, yeah. But so the, the other thing, so part of it is I want to sort of really triple down for other directors, um, you know, invitations to you could do it this way, you could do it that way, um, particularly since I will have magical elements in my thing. So I want to sort of give a variety of of suggestions. Um, part of it is that I, from my directing, a lot of my direction, a lot of my text will be in movement. So if I were to take that away, you've, you've lost that. And then part of it, I'm going to be honest, is I am a fucking amazing director <laughs> and it is worth it to you to not start f at, at zero, um, yeah. As a Shakespearean director, I get to watch a ton of versions of Hamlet. I get to see Peter Brooks, uh, sorry, Peter, um, yeah, Peter Brooks Hamlet. I get to see so and so's Hamlet. I get to see all these amazing directors and see the choices they've made. I have a production history, and I, I personally feel that production history is so valuable because then I could go into our town and like erase most of the stage directions, perhaps, you know, if I decide I don't want them. But I also, I want to have that sort of oral history that gets lost, particularly in theater, because it tends not to be recorded, because it tends to be ephemeral. Um, and and I guess maybe as a daughter of a genealogist, I get very, you know, frustrated uh, yeah. at that lack. But also, uh, honestly, having taught or worked with a lot of directors, there are a lot of terrible directors out there. So yeah. if I can like give a little <laughs> hint that like, and and I try to couch it usually in sort of gestures towards they may do this, they may do that, you know. Um, but when it comes to the farces, um, it is a clowning routine. And so that's where I'm trying to puzzle out, mm, how do you sort of elegantly put this on the page and get a routine across? Because again, in Commedia, you get taught the bits, mm -hmm. right? You get taught how to create the Lazzi. Um, is that the right words? Lazzi, yeah, Lazzi? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, 
yeah, so if I can at least write it in there, um, you know, that I'm going to presume that a better troop will know how to go, ooh, we have a better way of doing that bit. But someone for whom they're just trying it out, I'm not leaving them high and dry. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a that. lot yeah. of different reasons, I guess. A, a lot of it is practical. <laughs> yeah, I love that. But it also, I think, drives home a thing that I feel about mm. theater makers in general is that, like, we need to be better historians. Like, mm. And, like, I think just, like, as people in general, we need to be better historians. We need to know the past to, to build a future. Mm-hmm. That's and part so, of why we're doing this interview yeah. series. So please keep going. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I... I and, and like I, you know, obviously no one's going to be able to have like a true encyclopedic knowledge of everything that came prior. But like, oh sure, you have to you have to put that work in. And I think that like what you're getting at of like, oh, someone just picking a script up and being like, well, let's try it. You know, like is an exciting choice in itself. But we just need to be better about. I think theater artists in general need to be better about putting the the historical work into the work. I I think that, and then along those lines, I would love to continue teaching the interpreters of the art that balance between, if you have the production history, how, how to take, pick and choose, how to build upon, how to throw it out. Um, Rather than sort of being very binary of I o- I only ever do the stage directions exactly as written, or I never do that. You know, there's yeah. there's a bit of binary thinking there that's unhelpful. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I completely agree. As well, so you know, I mean, it's theater's always evolving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, Especially now, right? Yeah. So <laughs> so the Great Clown Riot, fantastic one to look at for. Uh, especially um, something that's that's huge <laughs> and fun and raucous, and how to write that. Um, where after that? Then so that was so close yeah. to the pandemic. What happened so, next? <laughs> so yeah, so I so like two things happened. The pandemic happens, and mm. I'm still in grad school, and they're like, we're going to do grad school remote, <laughs> which I think is a really important thing to to keep in mind. So I finish mm. thesis prep on clown riots um, in a class taught by Jessica Kazanski, who's the Mm -hmm. artistic director at Boston Court Pasadena in LA. Mm -hmm. Um, And my frustration there was that the entire time she's like, I don't get why this play matters right now. And I was like, (laughs) I don't either because the world's shut down. Um, And uh, (laughs) it finally like started making sense around when you know, the George Floyd the George riots. Floyd riots. Like, it, yeah. made, it, like, it, it yeah. sang a different, it brought on another context to the play that, like, was not there originally that I think, like, helped people get to, like, what my mm. ideas of the play were. But anyway, mm. then we got to the long COVID summer, and I was like, I can't write <laughs> right now. I can't imagine a theater. I can't imagine a stage. Um, mm. And that first quarter back, we had to do our theses online. Um and they were like, we can't do clown riots on Zoom. And I, I mean, it would have been fun to see them try, but they were just <laughs> like, we can't. Yeah. So we did Love Light. Mm. Love Light was my thesis, which was oh. kind of disappointing to me um, mm. in some respects. Like, it was just disappointing because I couldn't be there, obviously, and like see the full production because that's like why I went to grad school is to like right. learn to be a professional playwright in the room. Yeah. And um, to do it over Zoom was tough, and especially to do a play like that over Zoom was really. Mm. tough in the moment but Mm. so this is all to say I am at my lowest at my absolute lowest as a writer 
I'm mm-hmm. not writing well in grad school. I'm making really shitty decisions. I'm making shitty play decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had had that talk with Kira Rockwell, um, like about, uh, God, like eight going on 18 months at that time. And I wrote a, well, I was in a class on African-American history, mm-hmm. theater history, and wrote um, a paper about Mose the Fireman. Um, who is a stock character, an Irish stock character from um, old uh, old old plays. But anyway, this is all to say I'm like really getting into my, my like Irish yeah. history nonsense portion of my life. And <laughs> there was a time, so I, I had been doing a lot of reading of Brendan Bayhan and a lot of Brian Friel. Brian mm-hmm. Friel is like really mm-hmm. important, I think, to knowing this time about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my plan was actually to move to Ireland. I had... Um, started talking at, yeah so I started talking to people at Trinity um, and then I started talking to people at Queen's University and it looked like I was mm-hmm. going to go a year at Trinity followed by a dissertation PhD at Queen's fo- focusing on theater as a form of therapeutic justice um, mm. and nice. specifically looking at like the legacy of the troubles and the legacy of what playwriting can do for those individuals mostly t- because inspired by like I was just so sick of the theater and still to some extent am. But Mm -hmm. um, so all that is to be said is like all that's going on in my head. And (laughs) I have like one quarter left of grad school. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had took a class in the labor studies department at UCLA, which is incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. And it really like kind of like just made me like think a little bit more about like the people I love and the people who I know and like Mm. how we like thinking of people as workers and, and, and and that nature. And so I had, um, Sylvan Oswald was like, for your final quarter here, you should just do an independent study with me and we'll just like, we can Mm. write whatever play you want to write. Nice. And my full intention, (laughs) yeah, it was really nice. But my full intention was I was going to write a play, um, about colonial Ireland. Um, I had Mm. been doing research and I'm still doing research on this, this, um, movement called the white boys who hmm. um it's also where we get um the term fairies for queer people from um really? yes the, the oh. slur so basically what the white boys were were these group of agrarian assassins basically who would go huh. around murdering landlords in the 1700s it's fucking wild um what? and they were a secret society that eventually led to the molly Maguires, which is probably the play i really should be writing and like i'm researching that as well um about the the labor workers who, um, you know, were hanged um, back in the 1800s in Pennsylvania. All this to say, I am, like, focusing so hard on this. And mm. Sylvan's like, what are you doing, dude? Like, what are you doing? Like, and he gave me the task of writing an impossible play for <laughs> Kyle McCluskey. And so it was like, what is the huh. play that you oh. wouldn't write? And I was oh. like, well, it'd be like a naturalistic kind of thing about living now. Because I, I was so frustrated and angry by America at the time and yeah. like by everything going on. And he was like, that's the play you're working on. You're going to write that. And so I did an entire semester on plays about American workers um, mm. and the history of American workers on stage. And okay. it was really insightful and wonderful. Mm. And... Then I just kind of arrived at edge of town. Um, I got really into Ken mm-hmm. Loach. There's a 
movie called I, Daniel Blake that, like, rhymes with Edgetown. I will be the first to admit it. Um, <laughs> but then also his other play, his other movie, um, Sorry We Missed You, which is about gig workers in uh, London who uh, work for Amazon or, like, an Amazon subsidiary and are delivering packages. Um <laughs> So, like, all this is going on, and it's just, like, so intense. Um, And I, Edge of Town just kind of came out, you know? It's, like, one of those plays that was just, like, here we go. Also, the second play that I've written out that has a Bruce Springsteen lyric as the title, which is tough. Um, (laughs) Hungry Hearts Edge of Town, to tie it all together. Um, And so... Yeah, Edge of Town doing was restorative just this, work, right? <laughs> for Bruce Springsteen, yeah, he really needs it. Um, but but it was one of these things where it was like it's the play that I wrote to like as like an homage to the people I love in my family. Like I think that yeah. um, Paula talks about it with Sarah Rule writing Eurydice for her father who passes away, mm, and so in yes. some regards, Edge of Town is for my cousins who still live and work in Philadelphia, and for the people I love there, and. Um, yeah. And like for my parent, for my mom, like it really, like the the main character really just like is my mom mm. in some respects. Mm. Um, and I wanted to write I, the original challenge that Sylvan gave me was to write a play without monologues. And then I ended up writing like 11 monologues. In the play. <laughs> <laughs> just like, sorry. But like, that's the thing, right? It's like, you're like, you're told you can't do it. And then when you do it, it's like the work that comes from it is just so mm. different and it feels so much more vibrant and one last thing emily i'm so sorry and then no, uh i well here's i'm preemptively apologizing because i feel like now that colin reminded me of the conversation that we had about your work <laughs> i definitely i definitely didn't steal but like redeveloped a concept for myself in this play that is from directly from you what and that is <gasps> that is the what? idea of having people on stage not say what they like the lines there, but not say what they say. So in this play, oh! there are lines in. Oh my gosh! Yeah, there are lines in parentheses that are not supposed to be said by the characters. Yeah, yeah. Realizing now is the exact same concept as the strike through, except I just was like, I'll just put them in parentheses and just. Yeah, no, I, I, like, I did see that. You know, because um, it's, yeah, it's the same exact thing. Yeah, it's helpful, so right? I wish so the thank you, I, I wish the helpful. listeners could see <laughs> how wide I'm smiling right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, you learn, you learn from, you learn from everywhere, you know, like that's just the way well, it goes. It, that's all right. Cause like you've now put me onto Paula Vogel. So like. <laughs> <laughs> no, you gave me, you gave me straight through and I gave you Paula Vogel. What a, what a time. There we yeah. go. <laughs> wow. I love, well, so. What a beautiful why, moment. <laughs> it's so beautiful. Um, why did you start doing that? When did you find it necessary to not say the words that but you're still going to give the words to the actor. There's two reasons. Um, one is agitprop. I'm try- was just a little bit more cognizant in this one in particular because this is, the, I think, the most pointed of the. Th- mm. Well, the, all three plays are pointed. <laughs> just, like, there's no <laughs> denying that. Um, but this one in particular, I was just like trying not to. I was I was trying to make it the emphasis on the characters, and so there's just like parts where like the uh, I can't help it, but the the like angry human in me is like I have mm. to add this in here like I have to I have to put this there for the actor to know yep exactly and also because then it like in terms of my head it's like the plasticity of space then is like well like this piece is taking up an entire page but no words are being said on stage so it's like we have mm-hmm. to give that much delicate time to the production in that regard um so that was the first one 
And then the mm-hmm. second being that like everything comes back now as I talk about it again, everything comes back to like giving characters and that have been historically unable to speak their own mm-hmm. way in a in a in a in a heightened way or, mm-hmm. or speak their own truth in a heightened way, like allowing for those characters to have that internal monologue that we all have that of yeah. the, like the intensity that like lives within us. And not to say like an a actor can't find that in there. It's just, I think when you take up that space on a page, mm-hmm. you're forcing a director really to respect what the actor needs. Ooh. Ooh. I mm. really like that. Mm. Yeah. Colin, you're, you're about to explode. Please speak. Oh, oh I just, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I don't, I just, I love that. Like, yeah. Building, building it in. Um, almost as, well, you're, you're, you're a, what's, I don't know what the right word is here. That's all right. Speak around it till you get it. Yeah, fair fair enough. Appreciate that. Um, just like, I guess what you're really doing is clarifying the, clarifying the idea, clarifying your purpose, Mm -hmm. um, to provide and say, and put it in the text, which is the, the what you have to work with put it put it in the thing that you have to return to and justify your choices based upon and say no Mm -hmm. this voice gets this space Mm. and it matters That's what I that's what I was driving What's, at. Yes, it's interesting because uh, several speakers that that we've had recently, including the the oft mentioned in this conversation, uh, Adrian Noble, um, was talking about teaching directors to direct, and mm-hmm. um, Owen Horsley, who's a director, was also speaking about this that he was briefly in a directing like there was a brief moment in teaching directing which is when he attended um, where the conservatory was for directors to take all the acting courses, uh, which certainly is something that, that I did. But the idea being that an actor needs to understand just what the heck an actor is doing. A director needs to know what an actor is doing. And I I'm thinking of some directors I've had uh, yeah, who in fact don't understand interior monologue um, or couldn't help an actor with that. So if the playwright has the tools to to do that um, and then to sort of make visible to the director what's going on, you know, it's not just take a moment. You know, it's yeah. this this thought happens. Uh, it's not – well, it's the same thing as stage, actually. It will not be verbalized, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something's growing mm-hmm. here. And actually this this – this idea I first got from Sarah Rule, mm. but I, maybe you know the seed may have been planted by by Paula Paula Vogel because what what I was initially so captivated by um, in how Sarah Rule approaches her writing is her uh, use of Ovid's mm. plot structure as opposed to Aristotle's, mm. where so many of these transformations occur in moments of silence. Mm. Essentially, what we're talking about the the theoretical term we've cultivated for those moments is is moments of charged performative energy mm-hmm. or ouvriel mm-hmm. um, in our theoretical framework here. Um, but so these moments of small transformation that by the end of the play add up to a total transformation. Um, and I think that's, you know, we're, we're kind of, it seems that we're all kind of talking around ways to build that in because that's how humans work. And that's, <laughs> we want to write work that is not just 
pointing us in a productive and interesting direction, but also reflective of how humans develop and how we fight with things mm. uh, in ways that 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 you know collide with the words that we have that force us to form new words to mm. say to express them. Um, uh, <laughs> as I am now colliding uh, with my own <laughs> thoughts here. <laughs> I think one of the things that that's interesting too is that you not only get a um, uh, you not only use white space line break, um, and in your case, using parentheticals for crossed out uh, lines, um, is is you're using as well, which I've seen in many places, uh, ellipses. Mm-hmm. Um, or dashes, which I do think function differently than having a a silent line. It's so fascinating just thinking about the plasticity of the stage, like what the way that we uh, as actors will interpret every little bit of black mm-hmm. on the yep. white. Um, I most recently actually played with changing fonts for uh, an experimental play I'm working on called The Wild Hunt, where when The Wild Hunt came on, I realized like, I have to put their lines in black letter mm. font. It is weird if I don't. Huh. Um, yeah. And and it, we did a, an exploratory reading with the Versalon that I host over here, and um, it did make a difference. And you could like weirdly <laughs> hear it. Um, yeah. And so in the same way, ha- there is there's such a difference quality of silence, where if I have, if my line is three ellipses and then my line is six ellipses. That is fundamentally different than having silence that is white space. Mm. It is fundamentally different from having silence that is because my brain is speaking, but my mouth is not. It's fundamentally different from uh, I have a stage direction that is telling me, I don't know, like sort of what I'm feeling or moving, you know, in in silence. Uh, And I, I can't quite granulate how but they are different qualities mm. of non-verbalizing. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious, yeah. when did you, why would you use, um, if you can even remember, sort of the impetus to use a space or a moment Colin, you've asked me this, right? And, and I, I anticipate the answer will be, sure. I don't know what it's, felt right. It's, it's often an impossible <laughs> question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. It's it's a difference between why did it, why did you put a fermata and not change the time signature? Why did you, uh, you know, put in a, a rest as opposed to using a fermata? Like, you know, but do you remember yeah. why you used ellipses rather than, let's say, white space or the uh, the stage direction pause? Yeah. Well, you use um, dashes sometimes, but yeah. Yeah, I think it's the plasticity of it all. And that, mm-hmm. like, it, it inevitably, we like, okay, not to bring it back to pornography, when you see it, you know what it means, <laughs> you know? It's like... Well, as, as someone who about, is working to like restitute uh, positive erotica, I'm I'm here for that. <laughs> Great. <laughs> it's, it's just like I don't know. It's like when I hand it to an actor and an actor sees a, a, a an ellipses pause, an ellipses yeah. trail off is different from a dash. It's different than a 
it just no, is. And I, I can't, I can't speak to it because I'm not a director. I'm not an actor. I'm like a, mm-hmm. I, I just create the scaffolding and then make everyone else build the but house. But you still, like, you're, am, you're clearly feeling your way through these texts. Y- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, so I, I think it's, it's more or less the like, I'm at a point for myself where it's just like, no, like mm-hmm. we're stuck. We're here. You know, it's like, it's, mm-hmm. and it's just whatever feels like it has to come up in that moment. And, and, and yeah. And so I, I guess to, to your point, mm. to what you thought Colin's point would be is, I don't know, if I'm right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right? Yeah. It's, it's so frustrating because, so I have uh, Swiss and German blood in me as well, to which I attribute, <laughs> that is the part of me that always wants to go, but why? We must have an answer. <laughs> There's a scientific reason. Einschwei, Einschwei. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and the Irish-Scottish part of me is like, I don't know what feels right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. So I'm, at, I'm at war against myself. Um uh. I am looking here at page 85 where we have uh, two different speeches. One is uh, sort of what we would – what we're accustomed to seeing of a – is page 85 um, in – is it The Edge of Town? Is that the name of this? I'm so sorry. Yep. Edge of Town. Yeah, it's – okay. It is page 87 of the PDF but page 85 up top. Okay. Beginning with social worker, will you have a Microsoft certification? Um, So we have a little speechity in verse, um, in protean stickic verse for the social worker. Then we have another little speechity in protean stickic verse for Joe, but the entire darn thing is in parentheticals and and italicized, which in this script means this is not spoken aloud. It is not verbalized. Um, Have you had a reading of this yet or any sort of embodiment? Two readings. So I did a reading for the final mm. of the the class. We did like a reading mm. with friends. And then I was very lucky. There's a beautiful theater in Nashville mm. called the Woven Theater um, mm. run by River Timms. And uh, they selected me to have a stage reading of this last year, oh, which was great. And I got to see – yeah. And I got – I think there's still a recording of it on – Line Ooh. on YouTube. So if anyone wants to check it out, please. Do you want to maybe like, f- yeah. find the I'll link send and send it to us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and that was that was really eye opening to have someone like mm. of the age play these characters, um, mm. and to like watch someone be able to embody it was pretty outstanding. Right. Uh, so I was wondering if you got to see someone embody it because this is terrible for audio. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think the best that we can do is. Um, are, would you be okay if we read this little little Please. bit here? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you want to be the social worker? I'm taking Joe. I'm, I'm already claiming it. Um, sure. Okay. Yeah. And uh, Colin, actually, will you read that stage direction? It's It seems unnecessary, but I would like the audience to be able to hear it since they are not necessarily looking at the page as, oh, sure. hello, all our listeners that are, are driving or doing housework or <laughs> whatever your day may be. Um, so we will give you an audio format, the version of the page. Uh, okay. Yep. So I'll read the stage direction. Kyle, do you want to be the social worker? Sure. That works. Yep. And okay. w- actually, there is a final um, dash dash carrot in order to make an arrow. Is that is that at yeah, the bottom of each of your scenes or what's going yeah. on? Um, so I, in an effort to be less prescriptive about what I say mm. happens on stage, it's just mm. a, it's my like end of scene. It's like we're moving to the next thing. It's mm. just moving ah. as opposed to making any sort of stop and like, like forcing a light designer's hand 
or a sound designer's hand. It's like, no, we're just, we're moving. And like, what does that do to a designer's mind when it's not like, okay, now I have to like define this. Like, no, we're we're moving along and and allow them to to build something new out of it. Very cool. I'm, I'm intrigued by that. And I'll say it now before we do the scene, because I'm half wondering, like, I want a little, like, Microsoft clip art, <laughs> old school thing, <laughs> you know, that makes, like, a swooshy arrow. Um, because <laughs> I know I try to get that sensation across to people in my stage direction, which is often, like, I'll say, and we are suddenly in, and then a colon, and then it's the next scene, or, like, something to get that swoosh sense, yeah. to get the plasticity of the yeah, stage. Yeah. Just to, to to force people not to bring down the curtain or bring down the lights, which is just mm-hmm. deathly, um, yeah. if yeah. done all the time. So I kind of like this this arrow. It's very elegant. Um, I think I just I, I wanted it to be a Microsoft clip art so I could keep changing what the arrow looks like to sort of get the <laughs> again the emotional beat of like this is a straight across arrow. This is a mm. swishy arrow. Like ooh oh I might need to play with that. Okay okay yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but which is to say, Colin, you're going to have two things uh, to say because that's that arrow is a stage direction. Okay. Great. Perfect. All right, here we go. I just want to confirm we're starting from. Will you have a Microsoft certification, right? Yes, please. Unless you want us to start Great. us earlier, but I thought. Can we? we just do you do mind actually if we just go back a yeah, little bit? I'd be happy um, to. Where would you like to go from? Just to the top of the eighty page eighty four, the one right before it. I just think the lead in. Yeah. Of like the social workers' question. Sure. Sure. Well, I'm noticing else. actually there's some really interesting stage direction on eighty three right before with the social worker taking their time, taking deep breaths because that's yeah. again that silence we were talking about. Okay. Um, so I guess I'm asking, do, 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 do. I mean, should we just take it for the top of 83? Would that be okay? Perfect. Yeah, that's perfect. Great. Okay. And that gives Colin more to do too, which is great. <laughs> okay, here we go. Are you just going to keep telling me to go to my fucking mailbox? I am. Well, that sucks. I don't know why. You can't just tell me. I've already explained this. Well, not clearly. You need to go to your mailbox. Well, for what? The notice. From who? They've sent you a notice. <sighs> a beat. The social worker takes their time, taking deep breaths. They switch the bracelets on their right wrist to their left and back again. Another beat. I am sorry. You have to go up to your old home, collect your mail, and then we can move forward. Think of it like, I don't know, an adventure. When you're done, come back and see me. We'll work together. We'll work through it together and get you as prepared as possible for your hearing, okay? For maybe the first time in her life, Joe has nothing to say. She takes the news. Now, how are the classes? Okay. You're going? I am. Good. I'm going to set up a LinkedIn for you. Do you have a picture of yourself you like? You're about to finish this program. You've got to show the world the new you. Nothing's changed. Can you use a computer? Yeah. Will you have a Microsoft certification? I will. Then it's a new you. And the industry is new too. This is just how it is. I'll help you with a referral, get you working on a cover letter in your resume, this time on the computer, (laughs) get your little friend to help you with it. When you get those things in order... Go to this link and you'll be set. We'll get you employed in no time and put all of those thoughts of disability or the factory to bed. Good? 
This entire next section is unspoken. What if I don't want this? What if I want to wait? If I want to take a rest for the first time in my life, what does it mean that none of this actually matters? What does it mean that you don't give a shit what I want, but you're deciding what someone else needs? A beat. And then spoken out loud. Okay. Next scene. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that was fascinating to me, because I knew that the silence, that the silent solilo- mini soliloquy there was coming up, um, was it felt absolutely right that you didn't even let me... Uh, so on the previous page, on 84, the stage direction says, for maybe the first time in her life, Joe has nothing to say. She takes the news. The stage direction didn't even let me have it be my silent line, hmm. which I loved. <laughs> um, so thinking about the rigidity of your right-hand column of sort of patriarchal direction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Amazing. That's fair. Um, now, I kind of want to see you do like a play, even a short play, where you really play with um, with the patriarchy, with the, the right being unspoken and all direction mm. and never vocalized, and the left being uh, a female-bodied person who technically can have lines but is always directed by whatever's on the right. And just see what happens. Yeah. If you Ooh. really lean into the dichotomy you've set up for yourself on the stage. <laughs> yeah. What happens? That'd be a wild challenge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it could just be a short little explorational scene. But mm-hmm. like Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you you robbed me even of of having a silent line or of me being mm. able to take the beat. You you robbed me of agency by putting in the stage directions, which is really cool. Whereas mm. in the silent soliloquy, I had the power of my own thought. Mm. Um, which is just really, really interesting. Yet when I was reading, there's a previous section that uses a variety of ellipses um, in a very comical, comical scene. Um, and uh, and the ellipses, like they were, they were mine. It was my silence, but it was a. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you could sort of hear the brain kind of making that of trying to back up. <laughs> You know, oh. <laughs> <laughs> from, okay, this is happening. All right. You know, but not having language. Uh, so it is fascinating that each of these silences functions so differently. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, thank you. Um, yeah. Nothing more else to say. That was mm. great way of saying it. <laughs> I am curious why. So there are sometimes when you have simultaneous speech in all these three plays, uh, you know, which is in separate columns, which is sort of an approved way of doing that now. I know I saw that back in like 2007 to 2009 when I was doing my master's. Um, It's extremely helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, there were several places in here where I was curious as to why you were not doing them as shared lines. Hmm. Because, Um, because like the, the rhythm that you were inviting to me as a performer, which I enjoyed, I was like, I kind of want, this to dance across the page hmm. rather than going straight down. And I was just curious because I haven't really seen shared lines, which I'm beginning to suspect are different from verse or a separate format than, than verse, how verse functions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm just sort of curious that, that that's not something you tend to reach for. 
No. Um, if I'm going to be perfectly honest about this play mm. in particular, this this play feels like mm. when I got to the end of grad school, I, mm. and I think everyone can relate, you're like, I'm taking <laughs> six months off from writing. And yes. six months. Yes. This play has kind of lived in that space since grad school. Mm. Like I, I've, mm. I'm fully aware that I need to work on this play. And I'm fully aware that this play needs love and development in terms of like where I would oh, like it sure. to be. Yeah. But so I think that there's like definitely room for things that I need to understand from this play that I don't know yet. Cause I just haven't had the time to sit in a room with people yet and do it. And so, yeah, yeah. this does feel, this play feel, I, this play feels like a, I, I don't know. I think it's, it, this play is weird to me. It's still weird to me. It, it's, mm. it's just like this, this thing that like, I like reject the naturalism of it in some ways. And like, uh, I know it's not necessarily that, that, No, that tension, like, that tension is there. As I was listening to you perform The Social Worker, I'm like, anyone watching this without the script in front of them would never know it's in uh, verse, right? Yeah. Um, so the naturalism is there. And yet at the same time, you could feel that this is, this is not a well-made play. This is not, you right. know, the, this sort of neat... Um, 20th century, it's still, it, I kind of love that. I kind of love that it carries that tension in it. Yes. Um, but continue speaking. So you're trying to sort out what this play is. Yeah, I'm, and I'm still mm. in, in that mode, but there's also, like, to be perfectly honest, there's just, like, a a fair level of, like, pain about this play because yeah. I think we've alluded to it. Like, I was supposed to move to Ireland. I didn't end up moving to Ireland because of visa issues. And I'm sorry, then, yet... Yet. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, like I'm living fun- in the I'm, UK, my dude. Yeah, I didn't true, think that true. was going to happen. <laughs> like, yeah. Yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the, like the, you know, the funding dries up and then like life happens yeah. and then it becomes this yeah. thing where it's like, you know, now to write while holding down a, a job I don't particularly love, but it's a, mm. it is a job, um, has been a really tough thing. It's a tough, it's a tough reality of, of being a writer at this current state in my career where it's like this play also, I should say this was the, the, the most awarded play I have. Um, oh, oh, congratulations. It, thank you. It feels, it, it feels strange though, because it still feels like a play. Mm. I don't really know. I know love light intimately. Yeah. You know, like I sure. went through no, I a couple that. workshops with that and it's been around the bed. Like, mm-hmm. so I, this play, you know, being the, the Harold Amini Steinberg runner up play being the Gene mm. Kennedy Smith, like being the, the second time I won the Paula Vogel, like all of that like lives on this play and this play still mm-hmm. feels like it's in its infancy. I think and that's, I st- I, no, I think that's great actually, because it would be very easy for you to say, well, then the awards are there or the recognition is there. I'm going to laurel sit. And yeah. I yeah. think the difference between a, a fine writer and a good writer is knowing when incubation is actually required, no matter what other people are saying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, that's actually. I was just going to kind of point us there, but also say, in in a sense, that 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 seems fitting. That you know, despite what the awards say, you know, mm. especially because this play is the closest to literal home. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, those ones take. You longer. know. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Those take longer, and you you know. Everything about the universe of this play mm. that isn't on the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's going to take you time and it's just gonna like, <laughs> right. Cause that's, 
how we learn what we have to say. We we have to listen to ourselves first. Yeah. Do you know I I would really encourage you looking at some of this. I think you might benefit from releasing yourself from the tyranny of the left justification. Hmm. I really think you you know how to write that, and I think this play is freer hmm. than that. Okay. Hmm. I think some of the stuff you're trying to do with ellipses, uh, with stage direction, with silences, like I think you could go further. Okay. I think you could let uh, we. I call it atotosic, um, because it's more than just free verse. Um, atotosic, hopefully from the Greek means unbound, but it means sort of feel free to let. The, the lines go all over when it does. Let them fracture. Mm-hmm. Um, let it go. Wi- I think I think there's something about maybe letting lines go wild across the page and then when they're forced to conform to something. That, that's, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's why I was asking about shared lines as well because if this is a play as well about intimate connections or disconnection, um, yeah. Shared line does that in an interesting mm-hmm. way. You may also yeah, end up playing few- with columns. Yeah, I, I think, I think play more with the plasticity and what it means when people yeah. are connected or fractured or forced. Mm. Yeah, because I'm, I'm also reminded. Uh, I see what you mean about like. We, Tyranny perhaps has like sure, sure, sure connotations that are more <laughs> negative than this deserves. Well, but I'm just I, thinking I, I, when I you get agree. used to something, like it becomes right. yeah, tyrannical exactly. in your a mind. Habit, perhaps it will yeah. becomes yeah. it becomes the system, and you can't think that it, that anything else would be what you right. would think. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the template, right? Yeah. Of course. And this this you know look just kind of scrolling through this mm. script and seeing the the structure that it has, it makes me wonder juxtaposing this in my mind with something like our friend uh, Caden Musser's Cassandra play mm. uh, you know what what little of it I know it uh, in its current stage mm-hmm. I know it's had several revisions mm-hmm. but they did really a remarkable stuff with mm. um, add you know stretching out the white space on the page and then mm-hmm. stretching out the white space and indenting a line like what what does that offer the actor mm-hmm. when you actually literally create space on the page for them to experience something mm-hmm. before they say something as simple as just no? Well, and you have um, that with the okay. Mm-hmm. You have that gesture. Yes. Yes. And you, cause you, yeah, that's the thing. You have tools mm-hmm. that are accomplishing the task. I think all we're really proposing is maybe there's more tools. Go further. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> yeah. 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 <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, this is cool. This is cool. I think this is going to be a play that that gets you out of your rut. Yeah, I think so too. Not it, not rut, it, but like in terms of everyone has no. chapters, and this is a chapter turning play, <laughs> and it's currently in the previous chapter. Yeah, and you can feel that you need to 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 turn the page. Well, there's part of me that's also curious if like this mm. play is not like I I, know, I love these mm. suggestions and I definitely want to take them to heart, but I'm curious if this is take like them or reject them. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> is like closing is like is this play actually mm. closing the chapter that was grad school and now it's like maybe because the stuff I'm working on now is just so different from this. Well, even. I'm thinking sure, sure. Yeah, I was taking a look at some of it. Um, I mean, it can be both because like I feel, um. <sighs> You know, I mean, like the bad quarto version of Cupid at Psyche did something. 
and it looks very different from from its current draft, you know, and it lived in that sort of interstitial place. And I could mm-hmm. see other places that are like, I guess, are firmly on the side of um, particularly prosaic paragraph form stuff that I wrote that were like yearning towards what I'm doing now. Um, and, you know, I mean, it, it's all on a continuum. It's all on a continuum. But like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the stuff you're doing now may be setting you up to do more uh, you know, the, the folio version to, to use the language of Shakespeare, you know, yeah. to get you from the quarto to the folio, but you need to do some work in between. Yeah, uh, for sure. To play with things. Uh, yeah. But I like, yeah. Well, I like this. this provides us a, a, probably a good segue, uh, unless there are other, other pressing thoughts about the prior work we've discussed. One of the questions I have is, um, what, what, what direction mm. are you headed mm-hmm. at the moment? What are you, I, what ideas are you toying with? What's, what are you working on now? So, uh, perhaps you can glean this from like what we've seen in my work. I'm always constantly torn between, do I write the like really aggressive, like Marxist critique, uh, intense play like the the <laughs> sad play you know, the sad queer plays of mm-hmm. mine um or do i write the like balls to the wall i can't think of anything except farce kind of plays right <laughs> i love that and so well and you did both with ass heads yeah. oh yeah we didn't L- even lest we forget yeah. that <laughs> we should forget that i mean one. that that, that one. can be for you know when you come back there we go but, there we go yeah um so for me right now um I'm like working on two projects simultaneously that are feel of that very thought. One mm. being this um, this uh, um, play about abortion rights and mm. about opioid o- abuse. Um, wow. Both of which are like the opioid in particular, like is like very close to my family and like mm. issues within my family that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's presenting itself right now in my head as a pop punk musical. So talk to me in a year and it might be like, this is the most realistic play I've r- written. But it's, <laughs> right now, it's, a, it's about, um, yeah, it's about this person in recovery. And so I've been talking to a lot of people in recovery. It's been really lovely to, to wow. hear their stories and share, share with them that space. Mm-hmm. So that play is like very intense. And like, I'm sitting with the guitar every night and working stuff out and it feels weird. It feels it goes jump back. It goes in bands in high school. I think I said earlier, like, yeah. and it feels very reminiscent right. of those days of like just playing around and having a good time. And <laughs> it's really fun. It's like the only way I think I could write a play about abortion and opioid abuse. So, um, it's Fair. you know, so there's that. <laughs> and then I'm kind of in research on a play that I think I was talking about with the white boys, but I it feel the more mm. and more I do the research, the more and more I feel like I need to write Molly Maguire's over again. Yeah. Um, that story just feels like really reminiscent of home, like in Philadelphia in that area. Um, and important to my understanding of the legacy as an Irish American and Mm. what it means to be a worker and what it means to organize. And there's been just like so many bad tellings of that story that I would really (laughs) like to, to do it. Um, but then also Mm. my partner, uh, Minta, uh, um, who I love dearly has been, um, correctly pointing out that I don't write much about Chicago. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I live here and I've lived oh. here and I've grown here so much. Um, you know, I've lived here about seven years all wow. in all in my life. 
And uh, so, like, that's also very much in the back of my head. Like, I would love mm. – I've been researching – I've been doing a lot of research on Haymarket for the past year. Um, we I'd love to maybe talk. do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I started working on the screenplay, which I don't know if it will be anything. But um, mm-hmm. there's been, like, a string of um, men turning up in the lake lately. Colin, I don't know if you've been noticing this, but there's, like, in the last year, 11 men have been found dead – in the lake and they think they're all connected. And so I've been like what? quietly following. I'd, I'd this. heard I'd got I'd gotten the headlines yeah. recently, only but only I've only, I'd only heard about a couple of them. And the headlines I didn't know it was eleven. Yeah, the headlines are really ugly because I think the headlines play on this old theory that was made up about this like things called like the smiley face killers. Um and like mm. it's like this old theory that like they're whatever. I don't particularly love those headlines. But that is to say, I am doing extensive research into the history of the torture program that has existed inside the Chicago Police Department. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, yep. Which is uh, real. It's I've very been. real. Yep. And so it feels like a play that might be connected to that. Um, I don't necessarily think, that, yeah. I'm not trying to assert on this podcast that the Chicago Police Department is killing people and throwing them in the, the lake. Um, but I'm curious about, ever curious about policing in Chicago. And that yeah, feels of course. like yeah. where I'm going to focus a great deal of my time when it comes to research this summer. Yes. So for now, there's certainly abortion and opioids, but we're, <laughs> you know, we're going to the next thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We can, we can throw the magic word allegedly, allegedly. Uh, or alleged to have engaged in such you, activity. Curious um, about the possibility of. I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. But so there's this, there's this, yeah, this book that I just started reading on the torture system that existed in Chicago and still exists in Chicago. Yes. And there's certainly reason to, you know, suspect some of their activities, perhaps given what we do know for a fact about Mm -hmm. Fred Hampton. Um, By the way, folks, if you don't know what happened to Fred Hampton, who he was, and how his life came to an end, look up Fred Hampton, Chicago Police Department, FBI. Gently, gently, for yourself, gently. (laughs) Gently. Yeah, okay, yes. Take care of yourself, but also it's important for people to know about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but not to get too stuck on, on that mm. subject. That's some very exciting directions to hear that you're researching very, uh, quite, quite a bit for, for us to talk about off mic. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I, I one question that we do have a, a habit of asking writers and I know mm. we're, we're coming up on where we should probably wrap. Uh, maybe this will be a two parter who knows. <laughs> um, but, uh, one thing. I just, I personally would would like to know, and actually, I I'll admit to both of you, I haven't actually talked about uh, this much with folks, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe this the phase of my life that I'm entering is mm. the phase in which I finally start to try and write some stuff. Good. Um, I mean, you've been writing, so, um, but you mean writing and write some write write plays. Nice. Yeah, I've been That's writing beautiful. poetry forever, um, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I'm thinking about moving in that direction in a conscious and deliberate way. Nice. Awesome. Um, thinking about how I inhabit the theater, mm. um, just seeing seeing if it's time to reimagine that. But mm. on that note, uh, what would you, Kyle, like to offer to other writers that are wrestling with mm. their own materials and the 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 long the year the longings of their of their heart? that are pulling them towards these different subjects, like that just feel that f- there's some 
ill-defined fire yeah. in their belly, what <laughs> what would you offer them? Well, I would give that this piece of advice, and I need to listen to it myself because I don't. But it's um, only you can write the thing. Only mm. you can write it. And it's going to be bad. <laughs> you know, it's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. You're going to write the thing. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be so, 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 so bad. But the beautiful thing that will come from it is that when you have a bad thing with seven characters in it, that means that seven friends get to hang out with you for an evening and talk Aww. about your work. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing that we've been finally been able to like be back in, in, yeah. um, in connection with each other and community with each other. Right. Yeah. Um, to the extent that we can. Um, mm, right. And I just think it's a thing that I, you know, I've only ever seen clown riots performed um, over pizza. <laughs> sounds very <laughs> silly. But, no, that feels really right. Uh, <laughs> it's really fun. It's really fun to like, and Colin, I'll definitely invite you to the next one for Love sure. It. But like, we just, I tell people to come at seven and it's like, if you're imbibing, please start drinking at seven. Um, nice. And then we'll start reading the play at eight. And like, that's like the perfect place <laughs> I want the play to work. He's also like, there's a thing about like freeing yourself. And like as writers, mm. we have to remind ourselves to like, just free yourself and mm. just enjoy the thing because we don't have a lot of time in this world. And for some reason we decided to spend hundreds of hours working mm. in a Google document or whatever and to be like, this thing, this thing matters to me so much that I have to document it somewhere. Mm. And so free yourself of any of the, the petty nuisances of your life and just fucking write the thing and let it be bad. So you can have pizza with friends. Uh -huh. <laughs> Love that <laughs> so hard. <laughs> uh, Thank you. Do you have anything to to? No, no. I'm just gonna sit here and that. I think we're both just letting like, that land. I'm gonna look forward <laughs> to listening to that back. You know, and, and yeah. sitting in it. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, on that excellent, excellent <laughs> note. Uh. So. Uh. Another thing we t we have a habit of asking our guests is, uh, where can the good people find you? Ah. Should you desire to be found? Yes. Um. I I do have a website, KyleJMcCluskey.com. Um. I'll send you Spelled all these links how? as well. Oh, M C C L O S K E Y. Yep. Um. <laughs> right. uh, I'm also a new play exchange. Um. You can download my scripts there. I should update them though, because I think if you download the like Love Light scripts from like 2019, and I've done some <laughs> extensive work on it. Um, uh, so there's that one, and then I would also say, um, you know, I'm on Twitter at Kyle underscore McCluskey. Like you can find me there, and please feel free to reach out. I love talking theater. I would love to read people's plays and and just connect with people more. So yeah. Yay. Awesome. Oh All my right. Gosh. Well, on on that note, uh, you you and I, Kyle, have some uh, some Marxism to discuss, <laughs> uh, yes. which we shall arrange. It's a big Marxism <laughs> convention, yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so, so much for much. making the time. To, thank you so much for having me to join us. It's been incredible. Yeah, thank you, I'm, Kyle. Yeah, I'm, it's yeah. This is a treasure of an episode. Get mm. a. I'm very much looking forward to editing. This. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, any any wrap up thoughts, Emily? Uh, no. Just thank you for coming. It's been a long time coming, and I yeah. think I guess if anything, um, this is just so lovely to uh, to continue to have the like the evolution of thought by these are the people I know and the things I know, and I bring it and you know and then a challenge you know, to, mm -hmm. to take, 
take it and go further. So I'm just so grateful um, for this conversation and uh, yeah. and and uh, being given sort of the little mini course both in Paula Vogel but also in Kyle McCloskey. And looking forward to what you do next. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yeah, right. I also look forward awesome. to seeing what I do next, and hopefully, I do something. Ah! Next, so. <laughs> yeah. Great. All right. right. Well, on that note, thank you both. And uh, till next time. Till next time. Bye. Sounds good, team. Bye. Hamlet to Hamilton Exploring Verse Drama is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. Special thanks to Stars and Scansion patrons, Ben Claude, Madeline Farley, and Jasmine Nyack. If you'd like to become our patron and get different goodies, you can join us over on patreon.com slash Hamlet to Hamilton. Hamlet to Hamilton is hosted by Emily C.A. Snyder with audio engineering and sound design by Colin Kavarik. This podcast is part of the Turn to Flesh Productions audio network. You can learn more by going to hamlettohamilton.com or turntoflesh.org. If you liked this episode, please like, share, comment, subscribe. You know what to do. You can follow us on Twitter at Hamlet2Hamilton with the numeral 2 in between, or use the hashtag HamletToHamilton or H2H with the numeral 2. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks' time as we continue exploring verse drama. <laughs>